Midnight Eastern, that's 9 Pacific, for about an hour each night we talk about guns. It'll be a little bit longer tonight since our campaign for the firearms and vendors playing cards is ending in a couple hours. I guess midnight on the East Coast, or the West Coast here. So uh, we're just going to run it live through the end of that. Um, just distracted here because at the last minute, midnight saying about an email, and no, I didn't get any email. So I was just checking that. Um, we've got some people joining us tonight. I'll go through the room here. Say hey to everybody. We got Clover jumping in from Texas. Thanks for joining. You bet. Good to be here. You know what? Texas is a pretty good state. You ever hear anybody say that before? Uh, a few people. Yeah, it's, they probably don't live here, but yeah. No, I'm a big <laughs> state. All right. Uh, then we got David jumping in from Florida. Your state's okay. Yeah. So it's gotten worse lately, but. Thanks for the heads up. Got Dead Horse jumping in from Utah. Howdy. Joining Gary from Kansas. Thanks for the invite. Gary didn't want to come in without another Kansan, so brought Nightcrawler in tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Two Kansasians. I don't know how you call yourselves in plural. Has there ever been two people from Kansas at the same place at the same time? No, I think this is the first time ever. Yeah. And then uh, got potatoes. Were you in uh, Michigan? Yep, I'm in Michigan. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I'm a lot of people here. hate my state, but I like it. Well, it looks like a mitten that bothers a lot of people because we're glove country. Country is made out of gloves. You didn't see mittens on the moon. But that's the kind of politics we're not going to address here today. We'll, we'll keep it friendly. I'm down here in Arizona. We've got other links out there. We've got uh, Patreon supporters out there. I gave them a link tonight uh, since they're a big part of keeping us online for these kind of things. And uh, if anybody's over on the Gun Channels and would like the link, let us know. We're watching the Gun Channels chat, or I mean the YouTube chat a bit here and there. And uh, all right, so it's, uh, what is it today, Thursday? So usually we talk about training, but that's boring, and there's nobody else here. So I'm making the rules. I'm not talking about training, so I'm not training that much. So we can talk about the cards. Clover's here, so I was thinking about concept of punching down, since you're all about the punching up. Thinking about punching down. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, we could talk about some of the people that have been doing cards for today. Anybody heard of this guy called Verdan? Like Burdan Primed? Yep, that guy. So that's all I ever thought. I thought I knew everything about him. I figured it'd take me five minutes to do that card, and I was wrong. So that's been an interesting story. Uh, and then there's some others. Uh, or if you guys have topics, we can talk about them. If anybody has stuff to talk about as far as a campaign goes, we can talk about nerd stuff. Um, and, of course, we'll be watching the campaign. Oh, and then, of course, I've got some news. Uh as we were doing Yankees, or as he was doing his show, all that going on, 
um, I had been emailing all day with my printers because there's a minimum order and I didn't know how many cards we were going to get and the need and that kind of thing. So anyway, they uh, promised to do some more cards in the future, of course, but uh, we get the card, we're getting the cards made. During Clover's show, he emailed me back at, what, 1130 at night for Texas time, and uh, that's super cool. So now every time we, well, every one of our decks now will have been made in the USA. So however many thousands of dollars it's going to end up costing to have them made, that's all staying in Texas. So that's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, we'll be paying, we'll be watching that, and hopefully, let's see, am I still my screen sharing right now? Yeah. Uh, I'll zoom this over here. Uh, we'll refresh this every once in a while, and hopefully we'll get to that 5,000, because that'll make us 200% funded. And, you know, that's good. So with that, um, I already introduced everybody. Anybody want to start digging into? I guess I'm getting a little tired. Well, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't mind hearing about the Burdan because it's, other than the primers, I don't know anything. Anybody else? Uh, we got David in here, Dead Horse, knowledgeable people, Nightcrawler. I mean, hey, I'm just for the ride, so whatever you guys cool with me. So, but I guess I'm saying, has anybody heard of Burdan or any of his uh, exploits or triumphs? I don't know what you'd call them, accomplishments. Well, I know the Verdan. I just know about the primer, like itself, right? Like it's not generally considered reloadable, even though you can, but it's not easy, like a, a boxer primer, right? Mm-hmm. So it's considered to be pretty. It was supposed to be used for disposable steel cases, really, right? I have no idea. So that's the thing. I figured it was the primer guy. So all of the stuff I was going to find was going to be about the primer. Uh, I hardly found anything about the primer other than, you know, it's different than boxer primer. And I'm pretty sure the original Burdan primers were all corrosive primers. I don't think they're that, that way anymore, like the new Burdan primers, but I think all the old ones were all corrosive. Well, probably, probably whatever chemicals. Yeah. The boxer primer came out like 15 minutes later, like two years later or three years later, I guess. No, three years later, yeah. I guess. One of the big... I'm sorry. The one of the big reasons why they went the Soviets went with Burdan primers is the extreme shelf life. Um they can keep ammunition um that's been loaded and they have ammunition the Soviet Union does that's been loaded since the late seventies and it still fires perfectly fine today. So that was one of the big uh, drawings for them was ammunition that could be stored in crates for generations. Interesting. So that's, again, come from the chemical makeup because it's more than just the physical difference of one hole and two holes, right? It's the priming charge is different. Yes. Compound. It's the actual chemical compound and also the metal that's involved with the actual primer. That's why they tend to be a harder primer. And AKs see, uh, have a stronger hammer, and um, for that reason, um, basically that's why you have issues with AR-15 shooting Burdan primers with stock uh, mil-spec hammer springs. Um, so that's just a little tidbit that I picked up over the years about them. Right on. So he invented these things in 1866, but. That was just one of his things. So I guess uh, 
from 1840. So this guy starts out, and I don't even have him here. I forgot to put in here that he worked for Remington. So I think he started out life as a kid. I should probably open up the Wikipedia again. He started out life as a kid and uh, worked for Remington and, no, not Remington, Winchester. And, or maybe it was Winchester. I got to go look. He worked for one of the manufacturers, though, for a bit and um, must have been where he developed his opinions or whatever. But in 1846 to 1860, he was the number one rifle shot in this country. So when they would have competitions and stuff, he won them every single year from 1846 to 1860. So when they start the Civil War, he goes over to some general and says, I want to create a group of sharpshooters. So they say, that's a great idea. So he goes and handpicks the best shooters from uh, 18 different places and eight states and takes all the best guys, turns them into two companies or something of sharpshooters, and they proceed to kick the crap out of the South. So the South have a better rifle that can shoot farther, but these guys are snipers. These guys are snipers, basically. And they go around, they put a bounty on generals and go around basically creating a situation where people say, is this even moral? Like, should these Guerrilla warfare. Uh, yeah, basically, they they had green. Everybody else in the union got blue uniforms. Ferdan made his guys green uniforms, and then instead of having stupid brass buttons, in fact, I need to change this picture. He changed the buttons to dark because it was the closest. They say that it's the closest thing to a camouflage uniform in the Civil War. They would climb up in a tree with, a, with an optic and uh, and be snipers. They used uh, Sharps rifles, and uh, that's a whole story in itself. So. Ferdan, right, this guy who's the number one shot in the country is tasked with by some generals to get together the best sharpshooters and, well, they call them sharpshooters. I'm guessing that's what we call snipers today, right? Get the best sharpshooters and uh, train them and basically go kick ass in front of the front lines and wreak havoc the rest of the time. And uh, so he says, okay, we need sharps. Everybody else is using muskets. And the guy who's in charge of procurement for the Civil War is 67 years old, and he's like, "No, muskets are fine. If you have, if you got too many bullets, you just start shooting crazy. We want you to be accurate and aim, so we want you to have to load every round. So muskets are fine for you." And he's like, "Nope." So he keeps hounding at them, and they're like, "No, you can only use muskets." And he goes out and gets some of his own sharps rifles and gives them to his guys, but it's not enough. So he finally, there's the stories he gets to. So the Lincoln comes out to inspect his sharpshooter unit, and he's impressed. And then uh, the, the Burdan is like, "Give me some sharps rifles now." And uh, Lincoln's, I guess, somebody, the, the guy from the army, had challenged him and said, "Well, if you can take a a shot for at six hundred yards, uh, standing, and shoot that guy in the right eye, get the you know the target in the right eye." I guess some guys was there was a face drawn on a barn six hundred yards away. He said, "If you can hit that guy in the right eye." then maybe I'll see the need for these rifles. So Verdan takes the rifle from the guy. There's like a story where Verdan is describing the story. He takes the rifle from the guy, takes aim. He says, I took aim at the center of the head. Luckily, the bullet pierced his right pupil. He gives the rifle to Lincoln, and for the rest of his life, Lincoln was giving him shit about that. He's like, oh, that's a lucky shot. And he's like, nope, it's a good shot. So anyway, needless to say, he got a Sharps rifles. President Lincoln was like, give him his fucking Sharps rifles. So cool dude. That's as much as I've researched on him. He also built like a, a twin rotor submarine, some kind of torpedo, and something else. He's got 30 patents. 
So pretty cool dude. And part of the reason it was neat to, or it is neat to be researching these things, because I would have thought um, this is something. He became science. a brevet brigadier general. Yeah, there's some debate as to, like, he was finally buried in Arlington Cemetery as that rank, whatever that is. And there's some debate as to whether he actually was that rank. But I guess there's some uh, division as to whether or not he was ornery or good at leadership. And I suspect when you have somebody who's outside the standard, you know, role of a soldier, then you become unconventional you're going to be considered unconventional by conventional generals, right? So he was considered difficult to work with, but I suspect that's because he wasn't used to the status quo or used to dealing with it. He worked outside the, the box, right? But I don't know. It's so, interesting. There's a book written about him, so I didn't read the book. I just did research online. Maybe maybe this is a dumb question, but like, okay, so he was very adamant about using the Sharps rifle, you said, right? Sharps rifle was a breech-loaded, so he could... To, you know, you could be crouched right. down behind cover and load the thing, whereas with stupid muzzle loader, you have to get up right. and muzzle load the damn thing. Where Where does the term sharpshooter come from? Sharp the rifle. sharps rifle. That, is it okay? That's what I was going to ask. Do you think they were? <laughs> I was just making sure. I thought that would be pretty coincidental if it wasn't. Uh, that That's where they got the term. Well, from, you know? there's a there's a link you can find the ad that he put out during the Civil War, the beginning of 1860, whenever he started this thing. Uh, that they called them sharpshooters then. So sharpshooter, I think, was a term. From, well, I know it's a term from the sharps rifle, but he has. If you look at the like little, what would you call it? like? What did they call that like piece of paper that they would hang uh, back in the day, the bulletin or whatever, the like wanted. So that was like the help wanted ad, and it said be a sharpshooter. Like it was a twenty dollar bounty for joining up, and then you got a hundred bucks at the end of the war, plus your normal pay. So you got an extra 120 bucks to be a sharpshooter if you passed all the things and you were a sharpshooter. But they called you a sharpshooter in that wanted ad, like be a sharpshooter, work for Verdam. So, so you think that's directly linked to him, not just the rifle? You think it's his... He called it the sharpshooters. That's the that's name. Awesome. He called it the sharpshooters. But that's what I was saying. I don't think he created the word. I suspect the word existed and he called his unit that, right? He, I, don't, I don't see anything that says he invented the word. Oh, okay. Yeah, and also they thought that the um, they paid them an extra wage to become a sharpshooter because it was considered back in those days very ungentlemanly like to not engage on a combat battlefield and to be off on the side in the bushes and and taking. Pop shots, they would consider that. The British considered that very ungentlemanly like. And it took a special. Go ahead, what? Go ahead. Oh, so they were looked at by both sides as not as upstanding, so to speak. But as the war progressed and the general saw what a benefit their their tactics were, it kind of started to go away. So the, the, the negativity part of it. Well, wasn't, you're right. It wasn't under, essentially up until this point, wasn't a, it just, you were out in the field shooting at each other where now you've got these guys that it was almost considered cowardly to do what they were doing, but it, 
proved to be a great tactic. That was two different wars, though. But we're talking about the Civil War here, not the Revolutionary War. And yes, we had on we had on uh, whatever uh, tactics in the, in, the, in the Revolutionary War, but this was definitely considered immoral. There's a couple of things I seen that was, as I was researching Verdan about his unit and all the it was the South that thought they were basically immoral. They were murderers. That doesn't make any sense to me because the South had a bunch of unconventional tactics that they were using against the Well, you can be offended in a war, I guess, you know, even though you're doing the same damn thing, I guess. But that was like I'm assuming it's you know, wasn't that far off from the Revolutionary War. It was still that same idea that you if you were gonna have a battle, you would have a battle. But uh um I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I really can't. I guess I could see it if you're the general, <laughs> but everybody else, wouldn't you rather have sharpshooters picking off generals than planes or blimps or something dropping bombs on whole areas to try to get that general? I would think. Oh, I think so. I think it was a great tactic, actually. And you also got to recommend, you also got to remember that these wars. People came in their best Sunday clothes and in their best carriages to actually watch the war. It was like a big entertainment thing. And the the very first newspapers and first, um, you know, um, uh, I think cameras. that's more. I think that might be more myth than fact, because I watched a thing about that and they said it happened only one time. And the South kicked the Union's ass during that battle. And it was all the Union people that were out watching it, like all, like, you know, like the families. And then so then they panicked when they saw the Union soldiers running away. So then they all ran away too and like were trampling each other and all that. And then I don't think it happened again after that. I was actually just watching a little uh, mini documentary on that about the people coming out to watch the wars. And there's only one real cited case of that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, and, and they and they ran away. <laughs> they, they, they they were all the like on the side of the Union, right? Like, and uh, they all when the Union retreated, they all like they all freaked out, right? And I think there was even a couple of the civilians got hurt, like they got shot and hit with cannon fire and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know, uh, that, uh, it says that, uh, Burdan guy, it says that he, uh, also invented a mechanical bakery yep. and a raker, and he was, uh, he developed the first commercial gold alma, alma, amalgamation machine, mm -hmm. amalgamation machine to separate gold from ore. So. That had to make him rich, right? Separating gold from more the first yeah. commercial. If you look at the we're getting a weird echo. If you look at the better biographies or the longer biographies online, they say that he was wealthy many times over from his inventions. He retired from the military and then I guess was given like a rank 
and I don't know if he had to do anything for that rank. Maybe he trained people or kept shooting. But uh, after he retired from the military, he just went on to tinker and create. So it sounds like he had all kinds of ideas coming out of him. They said somewhere in there, too, that uh, when they would be at rest or at Eden off, you know, not fighting, that uh, his guys never had to deal with... Um, it was like the beginning of the, you know, more of a elite force because they didn't do any of the normal chores or anything. They spent all their time training, so he would get his guys and drill them and and take them out for skill practice, where the other guys would and just sit around being off duty or whatever. Yeah, he requ he required his candidates for that sharpshooter uh, team to be able to place. Uh, 10 shots in a three-inch circle at 200 yards. A 10, uh, you know, a 10-shot group, three-inch circle, 200 yards, no optics. I guess 600, 600. shot for, well, for the Civil War. So guns that could reach out to 600 yards were useful, but then you'd have to be able to take a gun to its extreme, right? So you'd get guns that could shoot farther than that, and you put somebody who knew what they were doing behind them. And there was a story of it was said it was like a story of the sharpshooters that they were they were attached to units, but they would go out in front of units and wreak havoc like a like a spec ops team like we have nowadays that do those kind of roles. You know, they've always had that need to look, cause a little bit of havoc and be uh, recon and to. Uh, scout right bring back information and that kind of thing so they're out there causing havoc or whatever so they said uh that these units you know just like anything you have to go eat somewhere so you, you're there they were known to be uh skillful or whatever anyway so there's this story of a general who said there is a northern general and a sharpshooter are sitting around eating i guess and some civil or some confederate guy keeps pegging around trying to kill this general but he's way the hell on the other side of a field and he's just you know shooting all around so they figure at some point something's going to happen and he's going to hit something so the general asked the sharpshooter he's like hey, how far is that guy and he looks and he goes i reckon about 1100 yards and the guy says and the general says can you get rid of him and he says yeah sure let me try it so he takes one shot and they said that they were all sitting there looking at him in spotting glasses or whatever. And the guy got hit in the foot and he walked away or like climbed away or whatever, hobbled away in such a funny way that like, you know, they laughed about it for the rest of the war and shit. So that guy is sitting there all afternoon taking pot shots from across this giant field, figuring he's far enough away or whatever. Their sharpshooter takes one shot, hits the guy in the fucking foot. <laughs> he goes running. He's like, Fuck that. <laughs> And back then, that's probably gangrene and an amputation waiting to happen. He also invented a long-distance rangefinder. So I bet that helped them with their cannon fire and stuff like that, right? More accurately. Oh, snap. 99%. Sorry, interrupt there, but okay, it's my show. I'm interrupted. No, I can't zoom in on this. I tried before. Um... It. See what happens when you try to zoom in. But anyway, what are we, 30, $25 away basically from hitting 200%. That'd be kind of cool. So I wonder, we didn't get any uh, action from Japan. 
Sorry, I'm cutting you off there. So what you were saying about the uh, Well, he just invented a long-distance rangefinder, and I bet that really helped him back then for, like, cannon fire and probably even for maybe naval engagements, right? Being able to accurately range the distance of objects. Somebody who was it yesterday was in the chat was suggesting we use the um, inventor of ballistics. And I, he sent me a link to a Wikipedia, but it didn't really have a name of a person who was the inventor of ballistics, but I wonder, okay, so you have a calculator, which came first, the ballistic calculator or the science of ballistics and stuff? They must have been doing ballistics from way back in the beginnings of geometry and math and shit, I guess. And then just applying it. Yeah, everything was done manually before computers. So these were guys with slide rulers, probably 20 or 30 engineers in a room. And they're, you know, just trying to figure out velocity and everything else, barometric pressures. And, and, you know, they're probably listening to, they've probably got some kind of forecasting equipment. You know, they're probably trying to go ahead. I think ballistics were invented the second the first caveman or monkey like picked up a rock and threw it. Like, oh, if I throw it at this angle, it goes farther. Like, you know, and then it 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 uh, just took off from there to spears, to bow and arrows, to you know, catapults, to you know, that's probably how far back it goes. Is literally to when we would use you know rocks and spears, right? I, I don't know who you could really equate with inventing ballistics. Maybe someone like uh, Newton, Sir Isaac Newton. Like, I mean, uh, that has a lot to do with ballistics. Uh, you know, uh, who's did who did the law of motion? Uh, wasn't that uh, uh, Galileo? Right. So, like, maybe both. Like, it'd be like a mix between maybe Galileo and Newton and I don't know might even have to, have to throw a couple other guys in there you want to go get down to about who invented the science of it really I guess actually wrote down the science I was just about to go live over here on the Instagram and I saw a ballistics post you see that his house Uh, ballistic expansion? Yep. No, I haven't seen that one. I don't think I've seen his newest post. It must be recent. I just saw it right now, but uh, very cool. It was uh, neat to see that jumping in. So I just started the Instagram Live. We're over here on uh, Gun Channel Support going live. And uh, we were uh, doing the Daily Gun Show, but it's a a weird episode tonight because the Firearms Inventor playing card deck is ending tonight. It's actually ending, I guess, in two hours, it says, so probably midnight uh, Pacific time. So we're just running a show live and chatting with some people from the gun channels and from our Patreon uh, page. And uh, I'm just going to refresh here because we're at we were at nine, 199%. I'm going to see if anything's changed, and it has not. So 199%. Almost 200% funded. Hopefully, we'll see another $24 or so come in tonight, or a lot more. I was saying, uh, 
I'm cutting everybody off now, but I was saying before that somebody contacted me, a, a reporter from Japan, and said that there's some sort of Japanese TV show or something happening where they uh, are interested in olden time U.S. 18th century U.S. firearms inventors. So what are the odds of that? But I haven't seen any uh, you know, big funding come in from Japan or anything. Anybody aware of Japanese trends in television? Apparently. Not Japanese, but Chinese. Um, my uh, father-in-law's wife is Chinese, and um, the it, what's really big in China right now are the fifties and the nineteen eighties. The retro kind of like punk rock scene from uh, like Depeche Mode and uh, Erasure, that kind of stuff. And then like the 50s old school rock and roll like Elvis Presley, um, John Lennon, that kind of thing are going on really big. Um, uh, Americana is very big in China. So I would imagine it'd be very big in Southeast Asia. Thailand and all of the uh, Asian countries. Uh, let's see. So we got some people watching on the Instagram side. Uh, the good news is that we did get a return. Commitment, or I don't call commitment. We got a, a reply from the uh, printers, and uh, they are going to be made in Texas. So that's awesome. Uh, Lee Armory is saying, let's do a deck of AKs and AK history. You know it. I'm definitely down for that. I was thinking about doing a colorized deck. So if we want to do something, we can work something out. I am sure of that. And uh, we will have a couple of AKs, of course, well, AK-related things in, the, uh, in this deck. Of course, Kalashnikov. I'll do his card last, I think. Uh, and then, um, well, let's go look. <clears throat> we looked at this a little bit earlier, too. Wait, is this the right one? No, it's the Daily Gun Show Secrets. Let's not look at that. Let's look at this. So I've got a Google Doc, Google uh, spreadsheet, basically, that has all the uh, cards listed down here. So uh, I'm going to go backwards because we were just talking about Kalashnikov. i got Dragonoff. I've got Simonoff. Mosin, and thought I had another Ruski in here, Makarov, and there might be another one that I'm forgetting. We also have Galil, and I think that's it for AK stuff. But let's start from the top. So is, have we gone through this list? Do you guys know who all we're going to have in the deck? Oh, Clover's saying it went to 201. So that's cool. So we just hit the uh, 200%. What I like about that is, number one, it means that we got more decks coming. So we can definitely get them made in Texas. And I don't feel so bad, you know, bugging them. Because these companies were for casinos, I'm guessing. Or maybe, 
foot. Like I've seen SIG do cards before. I've seen Mossberg do cards. So when a company like that does cards, they're not dealing with, you know, 50 decks or whatever, 100 decks. They're dealing with, you know, thousands probably, I can't even imagine. So, uh, you know, they're dealing with our little projects and stuff. I think it's cool. They liked the gun ones. They came along and found me, and they're in Texas, so I guess it makes sense. But they found me with the gun ones. So, uh, anyhow, um, yeah, very cool that uh, we get the, the 200% there. Um, or was I going in about a million different directions? I don't know what the hell's going on with Japan. It bugs me because I was hoping to get a whole bunch of Japanese money. I like keeping our money here, but I really like getting money from other countries. Uh, it kind of screws you on shipping. So I'm thinking about at some point offering some kind of consulting because uh, that's what I like to do is help people with their projects. I'd like to uh, put some kind of package together. Maybe I can get Clover to help me out with it. Somebody else who might be interested uh, to... Uh, kind of summarize my experience with all these projects because I've had plenty of successes but also failures and I've watched lots of projects that I've been in, uh, involved with or interested in and again lots of successes but also failures there's always stuff to learn so I'm thinking about um, uh, trying to do something to help people out with these things to try to you know figure them all out but anyhow uh, the, it would have been neat to get a bunch of Japanese money for sure right um, as far as the Kalashnikov ones and Lee Armory, yeah, let's get together. You actually live, our, our friend uh, Jimmy, the guy who does one of the shows here on Gun Channels, uh, one of the live shows, lives like a block from you. So uh, I don't need much excuse to get up there, and sounds like I got a place to hang out right there, too. Um, maybe in a couple of weeks when it's not like 110 during the day. So I was just looking at the uh, weather. It's going to be like 110 early next week. Anyhow, definitely a uh, uh, lots of potential for more Kalashnikov history. Uh, we still got to finish this one. I oh, I was going to look at the, uh, the the inventors over there, um, and you'll see when we start digging into here. Uh, I've got this. Can you tell from the? You can tell on the screen capture. You can't tell on Instagram. Uh, these yellow ones are done. So we've got uh, half of them to go. A little bit less than half. All right, so we're getting into the different suits. you got spades, hearts, clubs, and diamonds. Uh, the first two um, are USA, right? And the first spades here are most of the ones that were military uh, designs. So we start with Browning as Ace of Spades, of course. Uh, Remington, and this is, uh, I addressed this earlier when we were doing this live before. This is tough to organize. I didn't know how to lay them out. Uh, I, I knew I wanted Kalashnikov, and I knew I wanted Browning. I knew I needed Stoner, Gatling. You know, some of them fall into place, but then you start getting to, you know, 52 seems like a lot, but you get to the end, and it was a little bit tough to, uh, to figure out the last couple. They pretty much all fell into place to get to 52, but then how do you organize them, right? So, okay, the U.S. guns, that makes sense. The U.S. inventors, that kind of makes sense. doesn't make any sense when you get out to the other countries because there's no rhyme or reason. Uh, so it's sort of, like I say, the, the, the military stuff first, the other U.S. stuff second, and then kind of just a mix of international stuff. And then once I kind of organized them into those groups, I went chronologically. So starting with aces, and then you get to the, like the, the most historic and then the most recent with the kings to some extent. Because I also wanted then just for artistic whatever style to have legitimate inventors on the key cards 
So Browning, of course, ace of spades. There's nobody's going to contest that. I put Gatling on the king of spades. I went with Derringer for the ace of hearts, and then Ingram for the uh, king of hearts. Giridani, however you say that guy, who invented the air rifle, who looks a lot like Dano, for the ace of clubs. And then Atchison, the AA-12, for the king of clubs, went with uh, Puckle, with the basically a machine gun that was created before the Constitution for all the Second Amendment haters who want to suggest it was only written for for uh, black pot or for what muskets and they the, the founding fathers had no idea what a machine gun was so we have the puckle gun uh, and I think that's the earliest thing in the deck or the earliest earliest inventor in the deck and well, no that he's not this guy is right oh no he is older uh Giugatani is not as old uh, anyway, and then uh, Kalashnikov for the King of Diamonds. I feel like I'm just blabbing. Is anybody else in here still? Yeah, oh, no, no. I'm just being quiet because I'm kind of crowded in area right now. Well, let's see. So, Slim was asking about. Oh, Elmer Keith. So. That's a whole nother thing. Let me finish who we're talking about here, and then we'll talk about other decks, because I think same with likely Armory over here on Instagram. Uh, there's lots of potentials for other decks. I'm just getting started with these three. I really like this thing, and this is teaching me a lot more about uh, how to get a deck made that doesn't need to, Well, what do we need? We have 200? No, we didn't even have 200. Where did I put the thing? We have 126 people interested in this. That's not that many, so uh, if I can figure out how to get a deck made or something as uninteresting to most people as Second Amendment advocates, then we'll figure out how to get some other history stuff out there, too. I might do them as flashcards, though, because this whole deck thing, I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know if it's appealing to people or not. I'll look for some feedback on that. All right, so let's dig through the aces. With all that in mind, this is what I came up with. So, like I say, they kind of fell into place once I went, new, what is this? New, this isn't numerically. This is uh, chronologically, right? So we got Browning, Remington, Sharps, then Winchester, Colt, and Wesson. I wanted to split up Smith and Wesson, and since Smith didn't do anything all that good, he kind of invented a bullet and then paid for some stuff and then retired. Uh, Wesson's the guy who did everything. I left Wesson on this side. Uh, we got Spencer, um, Thompson, Rising, Johnson, uh, Stoner, Barrett, and Gatling. So there's only seven guys, according to the Internet, who have firearms adopted by the U.S. military. Six of them are in this list because six of them are Americans, which is the one that ain't. Patriot doesn't get to guess because he knows. Graham. Yep. Or were you saying that, that you're going to give the winner a grand? Negative. Okay. Yeah, some Canadian made their grand. Dope. Somebody paid for something. Thanks for that. Um, let's see. So then we had the hearts. So we go with Derringer. You got Hunt, who is the guy that created the firing cock repeating gun, which is the lever. So the volcanic. You got Browning. Uh, this is Jonathan Browning. So this is Browning's dad, right? He had to exist so that Browning could exist. He also made the harmonica gun. Um, and he also made Browning. So, you know what I mean? Uh, we got Smith, like I said, he's the other half of Smith and Wesson. We got Roland White. I don't know if that's something else, but that's awesome. Thank you. Um, sometimes it gives me two, like an echo ring. 
but if that's two things, that's awesome. Uh, Roland White, he's the guy that invented the board through cylinder, kind of. So the part of the re Colt's revolver, Colt, Colt invented the, the locking revolver, the locking cylinder in a revolver, right? So that's where Colt comes along and makes an effective revolver. But it's a, it's a percussion. It's still flat powder. You have to load each one. So Roland comes along, makes this goofy thing that has a board through cylinder, Smith and Wesson fail with the volcanic and go, hey, let's make a revolver instead because the lever's not working with the way we want to use our new ammo because they're going to invent caseless ammo or cartridges right in a minute. So they need this guy's board through cylinder to make their revolver. So does Colt when he goes to cartridges and everybody else. So Roland White is necessary. Um, well, not necessary, but that's his little part of the equation. That's why he's in the deck. Uh, we got Henry. Uh, the Henry rifle, which is, you know, the guy who comes along and makes the Winchester, right? Uh, we got Savage. We talked about him the other day. That guy is crazy cool life. Maxim, uh, this is the silencer Maxim, so the, the son of the suppressor Maxim. Uh, then we got Pedersen, Pedersen device, uh, lots of other stuff. Uh, Browning calls him, like, the most, the best gun designer or something. You got Carbine Williams, character and inventor of a couple of things, the short stroke gas piston and the floating chamber that we use in a bunch of different firearms today. You got Weatherby, interesting guy who came onto the scene, uh, what, in the 50s, almost the 60s, and just went crazy with the hunting stuff. And I suspect, I don't know enough about it, but I suspect there's a whole aspect of firearms history here with the Weatherbys and the other the savages and the, the hunting stuff that I'm just not into, so I'm not as big a hunter as, as I could be. Uh, then you got Ruger, love him or hate him, super interesting dude, comes onto the scene, looks at the Nambu and the other Nazi guns and goes, there's not a lot of cheap 22s in this country, and we should make one, and let's make it look like one of these guns that everybody's familiar with from the war. And they make that, and... How many millions of them? Eight million of those Ruger 22s? The yeah. standard models have been made? Bunches oh, and bunches. Tons. Then he yeah. does the same thing with 1022. He says, hey, you know what? There's not a 22 rifle. That's, there's either little kids' garbage guns or there's like maybe a super fancy owl shoots. There ain't nothing for a regular person. So he makes a 1022 out of basically an M1 carbine-looking thing and takes two guns from World War II, makes them actual worth a damn as a sporting gun, and has involvement in every firearm that his company makes. It's one of the most diverse companies, makes everything from revolvers. Did the same thing with revolvers. Says, hey, you know what? There isn't a decent 22 revolver that's something like an old cowboy gun. Makes the, the what is it, the six? Single six, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, revolutionizes that, goes on to do all the Blackhawks and everything else. So shotguns, come on, Ruger, you can hate them for being a freaking idiot with this. They cover, they cover every... Every platform, every design, every single every type one of, of gun. And yeah. they did a decent job. It's not like they just throw a thing in the they do decent stuff. And maybe the stylus stylizing you might not like, but you know, that had to do with him being involved in everyone, but definitely an interesting character. And then he screws it all up at the end. He could have gone down as being close to root to uh, Browning, I suspect. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, uh, probably, you know, yeah. And goes along and he, he Writes a letter to Congress, every single person in Congress in what 1989, 
and tells them, hey, you don't have to worry about nothing. I figured it all out. Just make high capacity magazines illegal. You don't have to worry about nothing else. I'm sure in his mind, it sounded awesome. But with the 2020 internet hindsight, he's never going to live that down. So uh, crazy. And I put that on the card. You know, the Ruger's not paying us. So it's on the card. His letter to Congress. Gee. Um, another quick thing about Bill Ruger, um, he actually the Mark uh, the Mark One twenty two pistol um, was originally a hand drill that he was trying to design to sell to um, construction crews and stuff, and it looks like a Mark uh, yeah, Mark One pistol. But it's just, you know, a, a crude steel body that's got the same shaped angle uh, grip frame. And it's got a hand crank for a drill with a chuck on it. And basically, he got the idea because so many men were bringing home at that, you know, slightly before then, the uh, Lugers as war trophies. And a lot of men didn't get the chance to actually get one because they were so scarce. And so he decided to make a 22 pistol that looked like one of the Lugers. And it went off crazy popular. Seriously, you know, like 8 million. I forget how many variants are still working on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and still counting. You can still buy the uh, older looking variants. They're not the Mark ones anymore, you know, I think they're on the Mark four when they've got light, you know, they've gone with an aluminum upper uh, receiver. I'm going to call it that barrel assembly. That's actually the serialized gun. Not always the, lo- the lower, not, not always on the aluminum, not on the, uh, not unless you're talking about the light. Well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The new light, With the, light um, the older really ones were stainless or or blue steel yeah. or some type of coating, and then the 2245 as well. Yeah, so like I say, the guy uh, definitely a, a crazy. It was a crazy. All these really have interesting stories. Uh, then we got Ingram, uh, Mac 10, some other stuff. Um, I just big fan of that one. I wanted to include him in there. Um, so then we get to Bartholomew's Giridani. I don't know how to say that. Mm-hmm. I don't have any picture of this guy. You need a picture something. You know what? Uh, somebody in here, there was no picture of Forsyth, the next guy we're going to talk about, but I found a coin from England that has his face on a coin. So I was able to do that cartoon technique to the coin. So I'm hoping to find something, but I've, I've done too much research on this damn guy already. I really wanted it in there because I want air rifles to be incorporated into it uh, for a couple of reasons. I think a lot of kids get into guns from air rifles. I certainly did. Well, you know what I mean? It's the first guns you can have when you're a kid. So obviously you're going to be interested in them. Really, it's super interesting history. It's American history, uh, the history of the BB gun and the air gun. And it's Second Amendment history. I mean, it's it's making a toy for the First Amendment. When you're a slave and you're a whatever... uh, a subject, you don't get to make toys, you know, of the things that you can't even have. So this is just people making toys of stuff that you're about to have to learn. Anyway, so uh, I just think the air guns are a neat thing. Plus, this air gun is the one that Lewis and Clark used to not have to just slaughter every Indian tribe they came across. They were able to impress them with shock and awe with a thing that was a black powder rifle that could shoot 
and break a piece of wood at whatever 60 yards or something without making any report and without sending out any smoke. And they were able to do that 18 times before they had to put it away because it was you know empty. The Indians didn't know that. They thought they were freaking magic, and they didn't know how many of them they had in their boat. And because of that shock and awe, we were able to, well, Lewis and Clark were able to explore relatively peacefully. And uh, I think that's a neat part of American history as well. And it's definitely gun history. So I wanted to put them in here, but it's frustrating when I don't have anything to go off of. So if anybody knows uh, a picture of Bartholomew, Bartholomus Iridani, or where where to get one, that'd be cool. Um, somebody had an idea to use just like a picture of Lewis and Clark, how they're hanging out with the Indians. They've got a couple of like picture, you know, paintings that you know depict that the encounters. But I don't really have little paintings on any of them, so hoping to find an actual bust or head. Or, oh, maybe I should look for st statues. There might be a bust or something of the guy. He's from Italy or wherever this Tyrol, Austria-Hungary is. It was a different name back in 1744, I guess. Countries aren't the same over there. All right, so that was that guy. Um, but anyway, uh, the, uh, the air rifle. Then we get uh, John Forsyth, Reverend Forsyth, who is the percussion cap. Not all that interesting. I put them in here because I wanted to get some Europeans because, you know, they were involved with stuff. And I guess the percussion cap kind of turned into the cartridge. So, right? But it's kind of boring. The guy just made this little contraption that put the stuff in a, per in a percussion cap, like in a little thing. And then it would be kind of, it's kind of like a powder measure, right? Except it was on the flintlock or whatever. And you'd kind of like move this little thing. It would... It would dispense a little bit of the percussion powder, and then the hammer would come along and hit it, and it would and you'd use that in lieu of flint. So it was a more dependable version of flint and flintlock. But it wasn't really a percussion cap until later when he decided, oh, if I put these things in a little disposable little cup, then it's a thing. So, it, yeah, anyway, I'm over-explaining it, but there wasn't that, it was one of the ones that was not that interesting. Um, plus, he's from Scotland. And he is a reverend, so he wasn't. He just wanted to go hunting, and he was sick of like making a bunch of noise and the birds would get away. So it wasn't like he was a gun inventor and spent all his days making guns. He just did this one thing, and it just happened to be, I guess, pivotal. But I guess that's part of the history, part of the fun. Alexander Henry, the so Martini Henry. Uh, what did he invent? Rifling, and he went around basically being kind of like our uh, um, Burdan, except in, in in England or in Scotland or whatever. I, I don't know what all these things are. I'd have to have Rick or maybe Angelina come in and explain to me what all these things are that Henry did. But he's some sort of Queen's volunteer foot. Like, they don't have cavalry, they have feet or foot. I don't know, it's weird. So it's our words, but said in a weird way, so it's hard to research that. Um, then we got Verdan. We just talked about him. Quackenbush is the next guy. He's another air rifle guy. He invented the first air rifle in, what, 1876? Not air rifle, but air, air pistol. Actually, I thought I had it out here a minute ago. It looks like this. How crazy is that? So in 1876 or whatever it was, 
Looks like a space gun. Yeah, looks like some kind of ray gun or whatever. And uh, so we'll be doing that guy next. Then we got Carl Walther, German. Uh, I don't know anything about him, so he seemed kind of interesting. And I did not know he was born in 1858, so Walther's been around for a little while. What I found interesting is... Um, you guys happen to go by Walter, who was here in SHOT Show, just, just Clover? Did you happen to go by the Walter booth at SHOT Show and pay attention to it at all? No, I did not. You know, Walter's not necessarily the biggest company or the most boisterous mm-hmm. or whatever, but, you know, they're consistent. They've been around since sure. 1908 or something. So um, what's cool is they are proud of their history, and it's a family business. So they've got their family history is pretty cool, documented, pretty cool. Uh, there's a couple of booths that take pride in their story and I think realize that it's worth letting people know about their story. So like Leatherman is a great example, like on the side of their booth, instead of just being wasted walls of the outside of their booth or maybe a poster, sometimes they'll put up a giant poster to you know use up all that real estate on the outside walls of a, of a, of a booth, uh, like uh, Leatherman will put their, their history. So as you're walking down the hallway next to their huge, huge, huge booth at a show, you know, instead of just walking past nothing, you're walking past their history. You're walking down a timeline, and Walter does the same thing where you can uh, see all their different inventions and stuff. So very easy to get the history of Walter, and I think because of that, I included it. It's not necessarily a gun I like or anything. It's, it's the James Bond gun, I guess, right? But um, anyway, so that's why I threw it in there. But uh, I haven't had anybody – well, I haven't really shown the list to anybody, but I don't think anybody's going to complain about Walter in there. Uh, Nambu, uh, 19 or 1859, 1869, another old guy. And well, gotta have the for one, it was the gun that Ruger built his off of, right? Plus, it's a pretty uh, recognizable World War II gun. I uh, definitely wanted to include more than just U.S. manufacturers, plus, we don't have that many. Well, maybe I could have probably done a deck if I really tried, but we would have had a lot of small little manufacturers in there if it was all U.S. And now I'm wondering if I should have made it all U.S. Anyway, so um, Nambu. Then we got Makarov, obviously. Galil. I don't know if that's obviously or not, but I figured the Galil's a pretty good, uh, a pretty recognizable gun. And another modern example. I didn't want this to seem like all olden days of yore type of shit, like there's not innovation still happening. Uh, same concept for Gaul, except how the hell am I going to do this and not have an Uzi in there, right? It's got to have an Uzi. Uh, Glock, obviously. Kelgren, I don't know, this one I think might be debatable. Somebody might be upset by this one, but I've met the man. I really respect him. I think he's a heck of a cool dude. He's not browning or anything, but as far as plastics go, it's only been Glock. There's Glock and Kelgren, and when you look at Glock being born in 29 and being born in 43, um, well, I guess they're probably just a few years older, but there's I can't think of who else in this country was working with plastic. Some of the Ring of Fire guys were doing plastics. I'm sure some of the people in Florida that were dealing with the Saturday Special stuff coming in from there played with plastics a little bit, but these are the guys that took it right to the next level. And... Uh, like it or love it, you know, plastic stuff's here to stay. Well, um, you, had, you had Remington with the nylon stuff and all back in the day, but 
That wasn't, oh. a, wasn't a huge success with that either. It kind of was, but yeah, definitely different. The, the, but yeah, interesting. But yeah, that definitely wasn't the first plastics, but it was the first, like, let's just make a gun out of plastic and add some metal to it. Right. Kind of concept or kind of design from the start. Yeah, theirs, theirs was more of, let's, more of the polymer stock. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, here, let's synthetic do stock. Wood. Yeah, it was like a synthetic stock option rather than polymer as a concept for the entire frame. But as far as I know, the the the, the nylon seven, I mean, not everything about that is neat. I mean, if you like Dupont or hate Dupont, it's just neat how they were coming up with plastics. And the nylon seven is the name of the plastic, right? It's the name of that particular polymer, and just neat how they were able to, you know, just develop stuff so quickly. Then, anyway, I think they're neat too because the green ones are really cool looking. The, the kind of deep squirreled green. Got a chance to see a couple of those, and they're just neat. Uh, Bob from Tucson Guns was a big fan of those guns, so he would probably he would grab one whenever they came around. You know, somebody bring one in. More than likely, he was going to buy it from them. So I got to see all the different versions of it, and you know, not intentionally, but through osmosis, I became a fan of them. I guess. Yeah. But they're solid. They're just fun little guns. They're just they work and they're neat. They're like a BB gun, but they're not. And they're from a time when you can just run around with a little twenty-two, and nobody had a bit about it. Yeah, and some of them bring pretty good money. Oh, tons of money. That's the other thing is they're super collectible now. Ag, right. um, do you, uh, H and K actually had the first polymer pistol, and it was released in, I believe, the late seventies, early eighties. It was the HK VP70Z, and I don't think it was the first polymer pistol, but it was the first polymer striker-fired pistol, and it was released in 1970. Yeah, but it was was not marketed very well, and it didn't sell very well. Well, hold on. It was full auto, so that's one thing against it, and they can't sell it commercially that way. It's HK. They don't like customers anyway, but I think it was the first production polymer. Like, it was the first gun you could buy that was polymers before the Glocks and everything. Right. Yeah, the semi-auto model was basically, like, if you took a double-stack high point with crappier sights and then put an 18-pound trigger in it, that'd pretty much be it. It's, like, the most... It's, like, the coolest piece of crap gun I've ever wanted. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, like, a really bad old car. Like it I want one it's so bad. Ugly, but it's neat. Uh, so then we get Axjiskin. I don't know how to say his name. So that's the guy that invented the AA-12. He also did some other cool stuff, um, subcaliber inserts for guns and just neat stuff. He hung out with um, um, Ingram and the guy who invented the suppressor for the Mac. They all worked at uh, Cobra, not Cobra, um, Mac together, Military Arms Corporation. So uh, cool dude. Um, never met him, but I'd have had some experience with the uh, uh, people that developed the A12, so that was like kind of cool. So I definitely wanted to put that in there. And again, it's to uh, keep the modern stuff going because there is new development. In fact, I probably should have put 3D printer guy in here. Probably could have put him in here. All right, so next we get to diamonds, bunch of Europeans and stuff. Uh, Puckle, because again, we want to have that in there for the. People who hate this second in our rights and want to suggest that the 
uh, the founders only wrote that stuff for the tech at the time. Uh, and we got Mauser. There's two Mausers. I think that's kind of greedy of them, but both of them are involved in the gun, I guess, right? So I got to pick, I got to use both of them, I guess. And then they were born on both sides of Craig. So I had to put Craig in there. Um, I don't know so much about these, so I would be interested when people jump in, hopefully make those easier to research, because I suspect there's a ton of stuff written about each of these guys, right? Fairly popular guns. So I'm guessing it's going to be difficult. It's going to be like the Ruger. It was a very difficult card to do because he's got a billion guns I could take pictures of, and he's got a paragraphs and paragraphs of interesting stuff to write about. So these might be a bit of a challenge. Uh, then we got Maxim, the machine gun Maxim, the real Maxim. That guy's interesting. Should, the question is, do we put the time travel part on there? Be the question. Then we got Mosin, uh, and I don't think I got Nagant. I just got Mosin because ran out of space. And did what did Nagant do? I think Mosin just made the, the magazine. I thought Nagant only made the trigger guard, and it was known known as a Mosin. Oh, hell no, no. There was, there was a couple. I mean, they definitely teamed up in different ways or whatever, but I know that he made more than just the trigger guard. I think he made, like, the gun. And Mosin only brought, I don't know. But anyway, so there's a Mosin and a Nagant. I only put Mosin in here. Uh, we'll give Nagant a little credit. And I was thinking about, since I do have some honorable mentions over here, people that added since the list and got shuffled out of the list, I'll probably need to put Nagant there. And then I was thinking about just doing a supplement set of extra cards or something and use them as like trading cards or something. Uh, so that's Mosin. Then we got Arasaka something. I wrote too much his name, but because um, obviously the Arasaka, but I think that's interesting because it's his first name. Usually guns are named after their last names. Is that a Japanese thing? Is that their, front, their first name, their last name, or something? I don't know. Then we got. Hume. I don't. I don't think that's a Japanese custom because, like samurai swords and stuff, those are usually last names of the family, you know, that make them. So I don't see why they would change it for firearms. It's a weapon as well, unless maybe it's a different type of weapon, maybe. I'm not sure. Rude to get a text in the middle of a live thing. It says the campaign just jumped again, so let's take a look. Maybe Japan jumped in. It's nighttime in Japan. 127, 5256, 202%. Very cool. Still got an hour left, it seems. So, something, yeah, right about an hour. All right, so next is Humo, Hugo Schmeiser, the uh, Sturm Kabir. Put him in there. So, then we get the Grand, who's the Canadian who invented the Grand. And he's way over here. So, all the other U.S. guns are up here. And then the grand's over here. So that's the, like, one weird thing about the way I had to set it up. But I just didn't want to have one Canadian up here in all of our U.S. stuff. Call me a racist. 
So the grand stuck over here in the diamonds with all the weird foreign guns, but that would keep the foreign guns in line, I suppose. Uh, then we got Simonoff, your SKS. We got uh, Mikhail Margolin. So Patriot doesn't get the answer, but does anybody know who we're talking about here? A Russian gun designer, Mikhail Margolin. So this is a guy that was a uh, guy in his business. What happened? What war was it? How old is he? They don't have his info in here. Uh, it's some war, though. He went to some war, got knocked on the head and went blind, and then became a gun designer and got frustrated uh, not being able to describe the... Well, he learned all about gun design after he went blind and then was a little bit frustrated because he couldn't get his ideas across to people because he couldn't draw, and uh, something crossed past. He got into clay, modeling clay, and then, boom, that worked for him. He was able to start modeling his designs and his ideas, uh, and that turned into a very successful 22 pistol uh, that the Russians took to some Olympics and kicked the shit out of everybody at the Olympics with this pistol, and he became a Soviet hero, and he's a blind firearms manufacturer, firearms inventor. So thanks to Patriot for letting us know about that one. And I, I booted the set me guy and stuck him in there. So I think that's pretty cool. And he created the gun and designed the gun and everything after he was blind. All right. So then we got Dragunov, who was not blind, but he made the SVD. And then we got Kalashnikov, who is the ultimate, the opposite of Browning. <clears throat> Hey, G, I, I sent you a link to a Wikipedia page of a guy that, whether you want to use him or not or interested, but might want to look him up too, uh, Ferdinand Manlicker. Is this some kind of joke? Manlicker? Nope. Nope. No, he actually, I have a rifle that's a Manlicker rifle. He's from Austria-Hungary. Um, he invented the N-block clip and a bunch of other stuff. He was actually a pretty cool, pretty cool to look up. He was... Um, he worked with a, um, Otto Schoenauer, and who uh, eventually became Steyr, working for Steyr. Right yeah, I didn't get quite a few. I don't have anything from Beretta in here. I think that was a big yeah. miss. Because that's one of the oldest companies on the planet. Um, a lot of the firearms manufacturers like Tula and Ishmash and stuff that are older that were making swords and then they made cannons and then they made barrels and then they made, you know, Kalashnikovs and then they made cranks and bayonets and everything else. So those were Soviet factories, state factories. Beretta has been a company the whole time, <laughs> starting with swords and barrel and cannons and barrels and everything else and making Beretta. And I think it's been a family company that whole time too, right? So Kind of an interesting... Yeah, but still family, privately owned. Yeah, so that's super interesting and obviously a big miss, but well, I'm American, so... I it sounded like to me you almost got enough left over to do another deck here later on. For sure. Uh, so let's talk about other decks. This one isn't quite over, but this hopefully is just the beginning of a series, so I'm calling it the first in the 2 ace history deck. So you're right, I probably could, now that we're thinking about it, at least do a supplement. Like, I was thinking maybe do another suit. So there's, you know, your spades and your hearts and your diamonds and your clubs or whatever. But I could do, like, a, a bullseye or 
uh, head stamp or something as a suit and just do a supplement. That would give me 13 more, right? So I could do something like that and just have a supplement suit at some point with the inventors or we've got find 52. I, I would like to include people like uh, Raven, uh, Jennings. Uh, let's see who I got in here. Uh, this was a super... I really, really, really wanted to include this guy, the guy Jules Van Langdenhoven, right? The Daisy VL, so the dieseling non-firearm that the ATF called the firearm. So Daisy, the air rifle company, minding their business, and this guy Jules Van Landenhoven comes along and says, hey, what if we take a, a little lead cup, right, a, a 22 caliber lead pellet, you know, they have that little cup in the back, and let's put some propellant into that little cup and instead of having a primer or anything let's just use a regular bb gun we'll compress the air push it through the little valve that'll diesel the air right it'll compress the air it'll push the air through that little valve it'll it'll turn into a little vortex and create heat and that heat will be enough to light the propellant and project and propel that projectile out the barrel there was no ignition so it's primitive ignition technically there was no primer in other words so and there was no cartridge so according to the definitions of firearms, it was just a thing, right? ATF comes along and says, no, it's a gun. Well, I thought that was neat, and I think that would be a cool dude to, in, to include in here. However, I can't find anything about the guy, where he's from. I think he's from Wisconsin or something, but I don't know. Nothing about his dates or his life or anything. No picture other than his name, Jules Van Langdenhoven. Anyway, I really thought that would have been a cool dude to include, but I'm going to Put a little asterisk there for a second. We'll get back to that asterisk. Then we got Tom Deeb, who is the guy who created the High Point. And again, there's lots of there's Bauer, there's uh, Jerry Baker, uh, Bar- Bar- Big, Barber, Big, whatever. The guy from uh, Freedom Arms. I've met him. Uh, there's Sandy, a uh, guy who runs North American Arms. I guess he didn't invent anything, but he's a manufacturer. Um, uh, well, there's a bunch of people that are modern, so maybe there's enough for a whole other day. Uh, we got Hudson Maxim, so the brother or the uncle, depending on which Maxim you're thinking of. But he's the guy that invented smokeless powder in this country. Uh, then we got Clarence uh, Hamilton, who is the guy that created Daisy. Um, he started out as a windmill salesman. Uh, Stevens, so we have Savage up there, and we've got um, um, Weatherby, but we don't have Stevens. Uh, what does Stevens do? 22 long rifle, right? Invented the 22 long rifle. Uh, Savage eventually bought Stevens, so it's kind of a sub company now. But anyway, that would have been a neat uh, person to include. I think I heard somewhere that this guy invented the recoilless rifle, so I didn't want to get too far into other side or other small arms. But you know, potentially you've got other types of firearms in there. Uh, you know, Browning for sure invented things much larger than handguns. Uh, and then this Ludwig Borgmer is the guy I pulled for the blind guy. And this is the guy who invented the set me. And I figured that was just in there for Night Strike. And what's he going to do? I keep giving him a buck a month, and Gun Tube still isn't perfect. So I pulled the set me. All right, so asterisk. Um, there's a potential for an entire deck, I think, of ammunition. So these are firearms inventors, 
let's talk ammunition. I guess you could say some of these things like the percussion cap and the uh, Burdan primer are more ammunition. These guys also make guns, though. But, um, yeah, you start getting into cartridges and the, the calibers and the types of projectiles and cases and stuff. I think there could be potentially a whole other one for an ammunition deck. Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe focus it on the ammunition itself instead of the person and say, here's, you know, I could do what old ammo for one suit, uh, military ammo for one suit, hunting ammo for one suit, specialty ammo. I mean, I think you could even do more than a deck, really, when you start talking ammo. Law enforcement ammo, like yeah. where the where the 9 millimeter was used in Florida in a gun shootout with the FBI, and then they ended up going to the 10 millimeter, then the 40 caliber. Yeah, like each, like say each caliber has got its own story, so um, probably something to do there. Uh, I'd like to do a deck of, I don't know what to call it, I guess uh, the evolution of technique because I hate to just call it training, because it starts out with the guys that created the National Rifle Association. They weren't happy with the, uh, with the performance of the soldiers. Uh, you get to guys like, well, so that well, I forget who the two guys are that created the NRA, but one of them went out to write a book about how to be a rifleman or whatever, how to, to you know, to actually write down techniques and things to be good at shooting. You know, it had to start somewhere, and I think that's one of the places it started. Uh, but then over the years, people have developed that. So like the guy we were just talking about, Burdan, you know, him taking his guys out and drilling them instead of just sitting around, you know, on off time or whatever. I'm sure that that stuff, uh, you know, is what developed uh, what we call firearms training today or doctrine or whatever we call, like, you know, the established whatever methods. So anyway, you've got uh, different eras of that stuff, you know, as technology changes, training changes. So you've got that original, let's just come up with the concept of actually shooting with an intent to get better at shooting. So if we ever have to do this for war again, we're better at it. And then you get to, uh, I guess, World War One. I. I never really thought about what came out of World War One. That's when they were standing there with one hand in their pocket, right, sticking their one arm right out to shoot their pistols doing all kinds of weird chicken arm, chicken wing stuff with their rifles to shoot. And, you know, some of that comes from rifles that were, what, fucking four feet long and weighed 12 pounds. You know, it's a little bit different than a 26-inch long plastic and aluminum gun that has a bolt carrier that's 60, you know, 30% of its whole weight moving between your cheek and your shoulder. Uh, so anyway, so you get your World War One techniques, you get your World War II, and then it goes nuts because everybody comes home from World War II and actually starts sharing their information, and you get your gun sight, and you get your, um, uh, well, all your instructors that were from that era, and then you get your um, uh, military training that evolves, and then when those guys start to retire, they come out and start training, and then you get your modern group, uh, what are we going to call your, like, instructor cadre that exists today. So I think there could be an interesting deck in just the development of, like, application of shooting. And I'm missing stuff like competition shooting. I know I'm missing hunting because I don't hunt anywhere near as much as some people. So uh, I think there's something to be some sort of a deck there for, like, that development of technique or something like that. And, again, to bring some of these people out of the 
archives. I mean, they're just, they're, they're there, but they're not brought up. I mean, part of the thing that we're doing this for, when we look at the decks, right, we look at the cards, I should say, um, one of the things that are in there is their birth date and their date of death, right? So um, we have one of my projects is the gun, is the guncalendars.com, where uh, we have a calendar, basically, you know, just a calendar, except we put things like, you know, today's the day that Pedersen was born. So now people can remember, hey, this is the day where that guy who made that thing that turned a 30 caliber bolt action World War One gun into a semi-auto pistol caliber assault rifle almost. So uh, that's the kind of thing that you know keeps the, the knowledge out there and available for people, keeps it on their, their mind so that they can, I don't know, hopefully develop projects from this. Uh, anyway, so that's part of the... Uh, the overall plan here is to develop some of our other uh, online uh, resources so that uh, you know we're not just doing this for one thing and it's it's over so hopefully there'll be some stuff that uh, sticks around from it anyway so can you imagine uh, after we do these 52 that's gonna be 52 more items in the calendar uh, if we start talking about when uh, people who are in the development of like say the application of firearms and shooting um, uh, we talked about the ammo, and there's another one. It seems like we've been talking for a while, but I do have a... What's my other deck? Oh, the other deck is the evolution of the sports. So I'm not a sporting guy. I mean, I've gone to a couple of shooting matches. I like the GSSF ones. It's really low uh, stress, and it's easy to deal with. I like uh, IDPA because it's, uh, for me, it seems realistic to normal carry type of situations or whatever. But I know there's a lot of firearms... Uh, competition stuff out there everything yeah, from like yeah. what clover's involved with with the kids and the 4-h and that kind of organized stuff to the oh just tons so anyway as i was doing the two-way history project i started to discover this stuff and you could think about it i never thought about it before at one point there wasn't even a shotgun right then shotguns were invented probably took people 15 minutes to start having competitions with their shotguns so it was like there's an actual date whatever it is like 1908 or whatever it was that's when they invented trap like Boom, it was invented one day. So there couldn't have never been any kind of organized trap shooting before that because they only invented it on that day. So then you get, you know, you start looking at that in history, and it's super interesting because we've had basically waves of anti-gun pressure as a free country, right? And those haven't always come from a antagonist. They come from different places, and one of the pushes was against hunting. And other pushes have been against military stuff. Other pushes have been against um, carrying for uh, self-defense. And those are most recent. So uh, as we kind of look at the development of these shooting sports, uh, that's super interesting. So I could say it kind of developed, or I, I discovered it as I was building the 2A history thing. And uh, and I was impressed by how um, how much I'm not aware of how much that influences not just the development of tech, I guess, or guns itself, you know, the, the technology of guns, but also the the um, legal side of it. And uh, anyway, so I think there's a lot to, uh, a whole other deck potentially in the, um, like the history of the various types of sporting stuff. And then I guess there's probably hunting stuff that, again, I'm not even thinking about, but going back to Davy Crockett and stuff, right, and all the conservation stuff, mm -hmm. the game hunters and buffalo bill and things like that yeah that yeah, gets to once you get into the once you get if you ever get into cartridges um 
that's that's going to lead you. I think the cartridge probably would be best to go with the cartridge uh, deck and then go down something with the hunting after that because when you start getting into the cartridge stuff, that's where a lot of your hunters, you know, they developed this cartridge. They were, you know, big game hunters. Exactly. Right. So then that that's kind of a twofer when you start going down that road. And on the cartridges thing, I, I just pulled out my Cartridges of the World book here, and it would be super easy to put together a cartridge deck. Just I think be a matter of just be a matter of picking which cartridges were the most interesting, you know. Yeah, it would be the discrimination. It'd be the toughest part is figuring out who gets to play. <laughs> all the information is there as to it doesn't give dates of you know the guy in the picture, uh, you know, birth and death and pictures, but the information is there. So, and well, that's actually ninety percent. Well, not ninety percent, but it's a good chunk of it is having a structure because then you can the internet is easy. You know, yeah, I mean, it, if it's, if, and it does in this and it does in this book, it, as long as it gives a name, you can Google that name a lot of times and easily get a birth, death, and picture. So, well, yeah, and that's what we were finding is really neat. Like, we'll we'll go after somebody who's new on the list and you know have never searched for them before. You always got to almost always have a Wikipedia page, uh, but then there's books now. There's Google Books or whatever that thing's called, where. You search for the guy's name, and it's listed, I don't know, 16 times in a book. They'll give you the paragraph or even the chapter that it, he's mentioned in some giant book that is like what you're talking about, the Cartridges of the World or something. Maybe there's a three paragraphs about somebody. Boom, here it is from Google right there. And you can just, you're only getting the pieces you need from that book. So it's really ideal. Like you say, if you've got the kind of guide there to where to point the Internet, all that's half the fun is finding the research in it on the Internet. Right. Yeah. Uh, Tate is saying, I think an AR-15 history deck, AK history deck would be good. So yeah. Well, and then another one. I'm sitting here. I'm looking at. I'm just looking at several books on the shelf. Right. Um, I've got the Ammo Encyclopedia. That's another one. Um, I've got a standard catalog of Smith and Wesson. So I mean, you could do like a Smith and Wesson deck. Uh, and history of Smith and Wesson. You could go through that. There's, there's just it's. It's endless, right? Hopefully. Well, I don't, man, hopefully because what I'm thinking is, I'll, like I say, I doubt I'll stick with the card theme too often because it's not very many things that are complete where you can get from A to Z. Because look, the, the oh, and I, I forget, I got a couple of things going on. So the AK deck only was four countries. There's 16 countries that made AKs plus. So that would have really been the silhouette, the, AK, the first deck, the AK silhouettes, needed to be a three-deck set. I just didn't know. That was my first experience doing a project, and it was my, I had already done a, a unsuccessful one on Kickstarter. So that was my second uh, attempt at that deck. And just, you know, novice at ordering, I went through Bicycle with a 2,500-deck minimum order, 2,500 decks of cards. Just think about the shipping. 2,500 decks of cards are basically blocks of wood because cards are a bunch of paper you know, right. stuck together with plastic. So they're, they're basically shipping 2,500 pieces of wood. My shipping place almost sent me, you know, like packing. When, I, when they got that delivery, they were not happy with that. Um, anyhow, uh, uh, that would have been a, a more than one deck. Um, the last one, the Old West Guns, that, come on, that could have been... Easily two decks, easily. You know, I I just had to pick random 
parts there. So anyway, it doesn't work really good having the restriction of 52. So what I'm really thinking of, uh, if people are interested, is I might go to a little bit larger form factor, like the olden days when we would get those cards in the mail as kids. Uh, we would get the things that were more like postcard size. Yeah, or like even like a Uno card. Uh, some of the Uno cards and things like that are bigger. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. So it's or not high, high visibility or something. Maybe they call it. I don't know. Something like but that. It, so just yeah, exactly. Like the like large old, old maid cards. I can remember like old maid and stuff like that being large. Or flash card. Yeah. So basically, yeah. an index card size instead of a playing card size. But it's something manageable, but still small. But anyway, get rid of the suits on there, and then just. Uh, maybe organize them by like the country, you know, put a, a border around it for whatever country. And I'm guessing most people know what I'm talking about, those like monthly card things you used to get. Anyway, I might do them as supplemental things. So we, you know, we do a batch of them. I think they do them in increments, usually like a dozen. So 12 or 24 or 48 or whatever, you know, just come up with some number and just do a small run. Uh, as long as we're not trying to do them in fancy boxes and make it an actual presentation type of thing, if it's just mm. get some, I should be able to do that on the kind of regular. And we'll see what kind of people might be interested in something like that. It's not going to. So you're saying do them kind of like, and I don't know how many people would remember this or whatever, but kind of like the recipe cards you used to get. I know my mom, grandma used to get those, you know, where they got every month they got, they signed up for the club and then got sent like three recipe cards and. Yeah, had these bo boxes like on top of boxes, and they were all. Like, oh goodness! <laughs> so the yeah, so and you know, like the like the meats were organized by a certain color, and then the vegetables were a certain color or something. I don't remember how it was broken up, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we I would get them when I was a kid. I had a set that was like. Well, critters and i'm pretty sure we were talking about it one time oh yeah i remember those the zoo animals and stuff yeah, yeah. the zoo book cards yeah. you yeah. get like a fish and you get a reptile and you get like a mammal and so you'd get this little plastic thing that you put them in and yeah you'd get your like new whale or something and you'd get your starfish and then you'd go stick it in there and you'd figure out how you wanted to sort them and you'd look at all the pictures and then you'd read them and then you'd put them away so we might do something like that. We might make it a little bit different. I'm thinking uh, there's some potential here. Um, okay, so we're all up to speed now. We're, we're, we might be doing something where it's just like a trading card. But we could still have fun with it. Now, this deck of cards here, and I'm trying to see if I've got a picture. You guys get the idea that each of these cards has a different uh, inventor on it and then his stuff. Well, you could play War in a whole different way with this deck. Right, you just ignore the actual playing card pips, and you just go to war with the inventor. You know, so if it's like Browning versus anybody, Browning wins. If it's like, you know, Maxim versus I don't know Remington, now that might be an interesting discussion. So it might be the kind of thing where you could have some sort of a, not quite a, war, what is that game called? The war, words of something of destiny. There's that card game that's all words, like you, you put down words, and it's kind of like a Mad Libs kind of a game. Uh, I guess the Instagram's going to end. Thanks for joining us. Well, I got that right in time. Uh, uh, Cards Against Humanity, that, that game. 66 people watching on Instagram today. Uh, so something like Cards Against Humanity, except without being as rigid, but basically you just have a fun war game, is all I'm saying. You know, put up uh, Thompson versus, I don't know, Cole. And then just kind of try to figure out who would have won that war. 
so the uh, the campaign grew. I see. Did it? Two oh four now. It's impressing me. It's hitting the goals and going right on past. That means there's a lot of interest out there. So yeah, two oh four. So twenty eight hundred twenty eight now. Sorry, I'm reading about three different things on my phone. I think it'll stay on. It's overheating, but the battery's still good. I'll shut it down. It just ended the Instagram thing that usually cooks it. Um, 40 minutes left. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, yeah, I appreciate that, Gary, because what I think is neat, too, is when people go through this, because they keep these on Instagram. If you go click on... You know, AK-47, well, I guess AK-47 wasn't here, but if you type in, you know, something that gun stuff related or whatever, you're going to see the campaigns that ended. And this will always be there as a campaign that got 200 and something percent of its goal. So, exactly. Hopefully, you know, I set these things. I didn't set this one at, like, the minimum. I set it at 2,500. I think there was some kind of rhyme or reason to my theory there. Um, it was basically to not to try not to lose any money. Um, but... You know, I would rather put it at like 500 because then we'd be at what a thousand percent of the goal. But then there's that perception oh, they've already reached their 500 bucks, they're done. I think that happened to me one time with the what I forget which one. There was a little campaign I did like that, and I'm like, oh, I'll just put a little I think it was the Gun Channel's fourth year rebottle. I'm like, I'll just put a $500 thing on this and we'll get the we'll get the apps with this. And I think people went, oh, you got this 500. Well, let's let's wait. Let's stay tuned for the apps. <laughs> I should have put it at more like what the three and a half grand that the apps would have cost. But um, so I put it at twenty five hundred. So you know that now that we got to the five, it's going to look cool that it's at two hundred percent. Because a lot of people don't look at the money; they look at that percent. That gives like you're saying an idea of how many people are actually interested in this. And maybe it'll encourage somebody in the future to go, "Hey, I'm going to do a gun one too." Those things sold; they're stupid. I can do something better now. Right. Yep, capitalism. Of course, it says a lot about the economy, too, that people feel like they have, you know, the free money to go out and spend on things like this. So there's interest in firearms, and the economy is good enough that people have a little bit of uh, free capital to spend on stuff like that, too. That's a real good point. So thanks, Trump. Yep. Where I was going with that. <laughs> Pink says he's running off of uh, phone internet at the moment, but next week he gets his good internet. So. Yay! So yeah, sweet. I'm just reading some of the comments around. We got a ton of new people, obviously, because Yankee did his crazy. What do you call it? Like. I haven't seen just a whole lot out in the chats and stuff. I've seen a few, but I want to call it a. Uh, it wasn't a motion drive. No, it's more like the thing for Jerry's telethon. Like it's a, a gun web gun website thon Yeah, no, it was a gun channels thon hopefully. But uh, yeah, that was crazy. So we've been getting uh, just tons. I think we got. Uh, I haven't been monitoring it, but when I first looked, it was like thirty-three new members. I'm sure it's a lot more than that by now. Yeah, because I went, I was there, and there was donations all over the place, and there was a part, there was a lot of people in there. Because I, there was only one guy who put in more money than me, but and there, it was pretty busy. 
And normally I'd say that's crazy because YouTube, horrible YouTube that hates us, is gobbling up 33% of that. But Yankees, crazy enough to match all that. So, uh, you know. Oh, Yankees, Yankees matching it? Yankees so, matching Yeah. So oh, let's, cool. let's, let's say that somebody donated $10. YouTube's like, thanks. Let me have $3.33 of that real quick. And they give Yankees $6.66. That's how they roll. And then uh, Yankee said he's going to throw the $3.33 back in there to make it, you know, 10 bucks stolen to gun channels like you wanted. So, you know, that's big of him, and that's cool. But uh, like I say, normally I'd be like, hey, do it any other way besides. Uh, yeah, no kidding. All, or what they call them things, super chats. But Yankee said that the best way to, the best way to get money to somebody, well, the best way technically is PayPal because that's one merchant or whatever you want to call one middleman uh that's not the easiest way for everybody it's probably the best way for somebody who's got the smaller side of the followers because it's not unmanageable when you've got a lot of paypal transactions uh paypal for example when somebody buys something or whatever you call it when they do the yearly thing on gun channels it comes up and it charges 12 bucks it's going to say to me it's going to say something to the effect of so-and-so thing activated, triggered or something, and then it's going to apply it. And then depending on if everything's still the same after a year, you know, if everything goes according to plan, it'll give me a third one that says applied. So I'm going to have three interactions that show up on my feed for that $12. And that's just, you know, once and then one year later that'll happen. So it'll just end up making just, just garbage, just garbage. And when I put that into my tax software, it's like just pulling all this garbage out. Well, Anyway, so it'll get lost. when somebody- there's, there's something to be said, too, with the Super Chat. It's kind of like the impulse items at the checkout. It's just so easy to do. It's there. It's in your face. And oh, yeah. For, for, people that, for people that follow you on a regular basis, you know, they're going to buy swag. They're going to become a patron. You know what I'm saying? They know that it's not wise to just dump money into a, into a Super Chat. There's other ways to do it. So, you know, there's this, I guess what I'm saying is that's sort of the saving grace a little bit, is that most of of that are your your people that are kind of doing it on impulse. Yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of it was like the little just playing, having fun, saying, you know. Yeah, the money I, the money I threw in there, I was just playing around, you know. It's it just does make Yankee say it kind of thing or yeah, make right. not being able to work his or whatever, yeah. But hopefully, uh, before too long, Night Strike will have something working over on GunTube, so we can still play with that concept and do it over on GunTube, where Night Strike makes the money. Yeah, that, that would be that would be neat. It won't be before too long for all that happens. I would be on board for that. That would be cool. All right. Well, I'm super stoked about the the U.S. stuff, of course. It changes all my numbers up because my numbers were for minimum, not minimum, but small orders. What do you call like a non-wholesale order? You know, just like a regular custom, not a, what do you call like a regular retail order, I guess. Mm -hmm. When you get to larger numbers, then then everything just changes. So I'm going to have to figure out, um, and then hopefully I didn't get screwed because when you're only dealing with a retail place, they're probably just printing them on a printer. So you Get, like when I do the demo or the prototype decks, I mean, they're probably just printing out some printer, right? 
and cutting them out with a freaking uh, what am I trying to say? Paper cutter or something? You know, they're not fancy or anything. So um, it might take longer. Now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't think about. It. I have asked them the prices and stuff, but I didn't ask them like, can when can we get into the to the line? Hopefully, there won't be any problem. But um, uh, uh, like I said, I was just, I was just say I haven't had a chance to really dig into the price numbers from or the numbers and the whatever. I don't even know what the total is yet. I haven't been able to count the decks or whatever, but to get the numbers off of the Texas place. So anyway, hopefully we'll have some room in here to uh, have a little more fun with the project too. No one count chickens for their hatch, but yeah, it's been a very successful campaign. So we're going to have some fun with this one for sure. Cool. And um, hopefully it kind of, if I can, if I can make it, I'm guessing the, the, the I don't, I'm still feeling out the printer. Right? I don't know if I'm pissing off the printer or if I'm no big deal to the printer doing these little gigs. But I'm hoping that if I can impress him with the ease and efficiency of this one, that he won't be reluctant with the minimum orders in the future so I can do smaller, more, I guess, uninteresting things that don't have this mass appeal so that we can you know, create things that are cooler. I think cooler than, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess if I did a color AK deck, that might have enough appeal to... To go big again, but I kind of want to do the the um, Second Amendment advocates to get that for uh, gun rights policy. Just think of any. Well, I guess it'd be neat to have those printed here, and like I say, these guys won't just print me prototype deck or whatever. It's not even a thing they do. So hopefully it's a it's a step towards getting into with that with them. Of course, I don't know. I'm dealing with emails, so it might be great. Let's see. Oh, they're talking about reloading out here. As far as that, you said should I do a reloading deck. Just everyone could be a different press and a different ratio of powder, different camphor, a whole suit of trickle chargers, trickle. All right, well, two, four, six, eight, nine people, and I got dead air. Luckily, there's only half an hour left. I guess we'll just go to... Uh, I'm sorry, I just, like I said, I'm listening, and I just don't really know. I got my kid talking and stuff, so, and I'm trying not to, you know, mess up the chat. Are you still at the place? No, we just got home, but he's, we're watching a movie, and he talks. You know, another thing you could do, you have 52 cards, you could almost do like a history of gun rights in each state. That would give you 50 cards right there. That's super cool. Yeah. I've actually got a, a project similar to that in mind that's already in the works. So that will be probably the next one. Uh, and like I yeah, said, I'm stoked that I've got... Uh, I don't want to count my chickens for their hatch because I'm going to jinx myself here, but if I can, 
like I say, my goal is to get. I, I hate to throw any amount of money to overseas if I can help it. I don't mind 40, 50 bucks, but you know, hundreds of bucks, thousands of bucks, no way. But right. uh, if I can, I'm hoping that with this one, like I say, if I can just make this quick, efficient, find somebody in Texas who might be able to just pick them up like I did, uh, so they don't even have to ship them or put them in any kind of box or anything, and you know, make it as easy for them as to deal with. Then uh, anyway, yeah, I might. I'm only coming up with something kind of similar to what you're talking about there. A little bit different. I don't want to give that one away. All right. Well, any other questions about a campaign or about the prison decks or about researching them or about... Uh, these other aspects of it I'm asking you guys and the people that are out there well, let's see well then like you were talking earlier you said that um, you're gonna do something maybe not quite with the uh, not like uh, playing cards but like maybe uh, like those when I was younger we used to get these books the wildlife cards and they came in, you'd like have a little three ring binder and you can put all the cards in the binder. But like, it was like, I don't know, it was like a six by eight card. Would you ever consider something like that with like a little more information on different, on different guns and stuff? Yeah, we were kind of talking about that a minute ago. That's exactly what I'm thinking going forward. Because the cards part is novel, I guess, but it also takes up real estate and... Yeah, it's just not necessary. I don't know how many people are going to play cards with them, really. No. So, uh, and then limited to fifty-two. I don't actually play cards with them. I just keep them around because I like them. I like to look at them. I don't really ever use them playing cards. Yeah, yeah I don't uh, use my decks either. I, you I are. Just... Uh, <laughs> I know you're big into the Ring of Fire thing, G. How many different Ring of Fire guns are there? Is there enough for a deck? Oh, definitely. And it would be even better because you've seen the video I did, right? Where I basically yeah. and it did like a PowerPoint or like a flow chart almost because that's yeah. how it lays out, right? Raven and whatnot. So better than a deck of cards. Uh -huh. um, I think it'd be neat to build my flow chart uh, so that you could lay it down just like that. A That'd deck be... of your, like a deck of your flow chart, basically. Yeah, seriously. Like, like a puzzle? Uh, I guess, kind of like flow chart, you know, so basically yeah. think of it, Raven comes from the center and they were the, that was the granddad. He invented a 25 ACP, uh, Raven, right? And that's based mm -hmm. off of Browning's pocket Browning, except made out of Zamic. And that way his aviation factory could turn out these guns and not go through a bunch of tooling, go through a bunch of bits and stuff. It was easier on the metal, or the metal was easier on the machinery. So he figures out how to make that gun. And he's successful with it for many years. And then his son makes the a 22 version of it, a little smaller gun called the Jennings. So if you consider Raven at the center of the screen at the top, uh, Jennings is over now to the right. And then a little while later, his daughter marries the factory uh, superintendent or something. And they are now called Davis because she marries him and she's now Davis. And they go off and make Davis arms. So now that's on the left side of Raven. So you've got Raven in the center, you've got his son became Jennings to the right, and you've got Davis over to the left. So Davis took the 25 ACP gun that the dad or the grandpa uh, started with, and they upsized it to 32 ACP and 380. So they 
are basically all kind of working harmoniously here with the same gun based off of Browning's design, made out of Zamic, made in basically the same way, very similar guns. Brother's making a 22, dad is making the 25, daughter is making the 32 and 380. Uh, Davis decides to make a Remington-style Derringer also, so they add that to their product line. So then that's the these three connected parts at the top of the page. So then you get into the tree. Raven has one product change or one change to their Raven ever, and then that becomes the next dot down from the center. Uh, and then Raven factory burns down many years later. Comes well, it burns down many years later. Comes back as Phoenix Arms. So now you're going from Raven to the model MP5 25, and then Raven burns down, and now you got Phoenix. So that's the main stock of the tree. That's the 25 ACP, and the Phoenix was making 25 ACPs originally. So that's the the stock of the tree. So everything on the right side is Jennings. Jennings, uh, the, the son gets in a, something happens with his wife. He's a horrible person. Jennings is not somebody to look up to. He's a horrible, horrible human being. He does something with his wife and has a domestic abuse thing. So he loses his FFL or he's about to. It changes hands and that Jennings becomes Cal Westco and then it becomes Brico. And his wife runs Brico. They build the guns, and Jennings, who can't have an FFL anymore, just distributes guns. So he's Jennings still, but it's now a distributor and not a manufacturer. So that keeps it interesting. So that's coming down the right side of the screen from Jennings to Calwesco to Brico. So then to follow down that one, years later, a 12-year-old babysitter's fiddling with a loaded gun, shoots the 7-year-old. He's supposed to be babysitting in the neck. That seven-year-old is paralyzed. That creates a lawsuit for, what, four or eight million dollars against Brico. Somehow it's the gun manufacturer's fault that this happened, that the parents left a loaded gun in the presence of a 12-year-old, and that was babysitting their kid. And that's the manufacturer's fault. California says, yep, it is. So you owe us four million dollars. Nobody has that kind of money. They go out of business. The factory manager is Paul Jimenez, and he buys the factory tooling moves to eventually to Nevada, and that's Jimenez Arms. So if you go from Raven to the right to Jennings, you go down to Calwesco, you go down to Brico, Brico turns into Jimenez. So now you go back over to the daughter side, Davis. He has a brother that becomes Sedco. That's a gun that's identical to the Jennings 22. So the brother Jennings and the sister and, the, and everybody sue this guy, and he's, he's gone. So Sedco lasts for like a minute. Um, and that's a cool little gun that's hard to get. Uh, that's way over on the left, comes down from Davis. The next thing that comes down from Davis is, I forget the names of all these companies, but Davis, the guy who married the daughter of, of Brown of Jennings, um, he's an inventive guy. So he tries, he's one of the first guys to do Polymer 45. I think it's called like an American or something. And then he I think he only tries once or twice, but he can't get a 45 to rock, to run on a polymer frame yet because they're doing it at our little factories in California. Um, and I think that's in reaction to Glock. I don't think it's like pre-Glock, but, you know, they're trying to do their their affordable version of a polymer. So he tries that and fails, but those are companies that come down out of the Davis side. Davis gets sued out of existence and becomes Cobra. Cobra moves to Nevada. No, Cobra moves to Salt Lake City. And it's like Cobra Inc. now. So those are the the branches coming down from the Davis side. So all the Davis lines and the, the, the 
Remington style derringers and all their polymer stuff is all Cobra now. Uh, then you come down from that original Raven branch and you get one diversion from that main branch and that is Sundance and that's the nephew of Jennings, Bruce, of, of George Jennings, the grandpa. Uh, and he decides to make Uncle's gun with a grip safety and a laser. So when you activate the grip safety, the laser goes on. So it's like a 25 ACP made out of Zamic with a grip safety that when you pull the grip safety, the laser goes on. So it's like the most obnoxiously expensive, inexpensive gun. There's no reason for it to even exist. It's the craziest like, duality of all guns. So that gun exists for like five minutes and then it's gone. That's created like 20 minutes away from where Alan Anker lives. Uh, so anyway, that's pretty much the family tree. And then there's Larson, who's an asshole, and he's kind of like an extra blip. He comes out of the Jennings side because he went to school with Jennings. He went to high school with him, but otherwise he has no affiliation with the rest of the place. And then you've got uh, AMT, who has no affiliation with it at all, except that they were in California, and a bunch of idiots who don't know anything about guns considered AMT part of the Ring of Fire for no reason. There's literally no connection with them. So if you've never seen that, that is a like a flow chart. Imagine that on like yeah. PowerPoint 2012 when I was sitting around. And I went to the range on a Thursday. I, I had just bought my, uh, my what is it, a uh, Phoenix Arms 22 off of this friend of mine. He had bought this thing when we worked at AOL. And I thought it was the bee's knees because I hadn't been shooting back that much back then. I had bought some, uh, what do you call it? Y2K prep or whatever, you know, I had a bunch of SKSs and stuff for Y2K, but I just went old standard, you know, pre-1999, your standards are like Rugers and lever actions and SKSs and ammo, right? So he buys this little Phoenix Arms two-barrel 22 thing, and I thought it was ridiculous and kind of neat, but dumb. You know, you could tell it was cheap, but whatever. So anyway, he bought it, and he was always holding it over me. And then I finally bought it off him because he, he needed money. So I bought it off of him, and I was doing YouTube videos. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go do a YouTube video of this thing. <clears throat> so I got on a Thursday to the range, and I'm like, and I just ripped into it. I, I made a shitty video. And I was like, hold on. I got done. I'm, I'm editing the video at home. And I'm like, is this what I do now? Like, I rip apart guns? Like, I'm an anti-gunner? What the fuck? I, I did this horrible video where I'm, like, ripping on this gun. And that's when, pretty much that's when I went, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't my thing. I'm not here to just keep touting the same old shit that everybody else has said, right? So I started digging into it. I'm like, why is this gun like this? Because who the hell would make this gun? It had a safety, like a regular safety, right? a slide, like underneath the slide. It had a magazine disconnect. It had a chamber indicator, you know, which is dumb. And then it had another safety up on the slide. So there's two safeties, and you have to go through this ridiculous proprietary manual of arms to load and unload the thing that required the magazine to be both in and out. I mean, it was just a ridiculous, dangerous, and like I say, my review was like, what the hell? And it's not the gun's fault, and I didn't think the manufacturer was out to get anybody. You know, they didn't decide, hey, let's let's just see how many people we can hurt by making this horrible, like, intricate puzzle that's deadly. So I was like, what, what's, what is all this? So I sat down that day and started, instead of finishing that video, I've never finished that video, I started uh, researching what the hell this gun was. And I discovered there was one article that everything referred to, and that was a, um, what was it called, Nightline or something? It was a PBS show that was on back in the day. 
wasn't wasn't my client. It was something that was like fairly uh, people respected it as like good journalism. And they would every they would maybe like every couple of months they would be on and they'd have, they'd like look, look into something and it would be like oh there's that PBS show and everybody was like ooh that's a it's gonna be the hard heading you know investigative report on whatever it was. So they did the was it Hardline? What the fuck was the name of that show? You guys would remember it or old because it like okay. it was big deal when it was on. Um, anyway, so they had this this one show, this investigative show from PBS that dug into this Ring of Fire guns, right? So I started to figure out what these Ring of Fire guns were, figured out who named them the Ring of Fire guns, and then I figured out that every single thing in this PBS dealt, referred to one article that was written years before, and it was some, she wasn't like Rolling Stone, she was something else, like some journal that, you know, was respected but leftish. And uh, so she was a some so this whole PBS thing that pretty much everything on the internet refers to referred to this one other article. So I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Almost everything you can easily find refers to this, and this exclusively refers to this. So basically, all your information is coming from this one lady. So as I started to figure all this out, I was like, wow, this is. You know, I doubt anybody set this up to get us, but this is the way it is right now. So I started to look back, and this lady actually spent some time on the ground. She, like, went and met these people, and she did this whole, like, interesting, I guess, per, you know, what would you call it, like, uh, expose, like, uh, investigative report of this phenomenon. And she was kind of open-minded about it. Like, is this a conspiracy? Like, are these people all in collude, in collusion with each other or whatever, collusion? and like trying to evade the laws or is it that they're being persecuted and they're just trying to do their job? You know, they're just trying to do what they, you know, provide a thing that people want. So it was kind of an interesting article, but of course the PBS one demonized it a bit. And then there's this doctor, Dr. Fucking Winnemute, and he's still an asshole. So he's an emergency room doctor and he's the guy that called him the ring of fire. And, uh, um, anyway, I started to figure out all about him and his role in it. He's a good 30% of the whole thing. And he's just an angry man who doesn't like guns and is convinced that guns are the problem. And he'll go literally any direction he can to, to prove that and say anything he can. And he's the guy who figured out that, okay, if, if laws aren't working, let's go after the companies litigiously. And he's the guy that, I don't know if Clover got into that part of the book yet, but he's the guy that basically set up the scenario, like the T-ball, to where they... They got all excited. Oh, it's working. We got Brightco. We got Dave. We got uh, um, Davis out of here. You know, it's working. We got the little Saturday Night Specials out. Let's go get Glock. And they went after Glock, and they got their ass handed to them. It was awesome. They just got clobbered. Yeah. And anyway, so that guy's still angry about that shit. So uh, anyway, I discovered all this stuff, and it was just it was amazing. So I uh, basically opened up my PowerPoint, which is what I used for my videos back then, and I just started to accumulate data and. Uh, and it became one of my favorite videos. I don't know how long it is. It's like a half an hour. And uh, it's basically a PowerPoint after PowerPoint. And I just took all the stuff I found on the Internet and piled it all together. I found out that there's a forum for people that are interested in these old guns made out of Zamac. So I went over there. And I'm like, you know, for a minute there, I was like, you know, their hero because I had just discovered all this stuff. And I put it all together in this like half hour video. And it got some attention. I think I was still a pretty big channel back then. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty neat, that was back in the, that's the time I look fondly at YouTube. So that was the fun part. I, and I literally, I was making enough money off of just YouTube. I didn't even have to think. I was making a fucking video and I said, nope, 
and I just for three, four days, I came up for air like I think on Tuesday, and people were like, "Oh, where the hell have you been?" And I'm like, "You'll never, you'll have to watch 30 minutes of video to figure it out." But that was the funnest time ever, just being able to jump in and dig into that. Now, now Frontline, thank you. That was the name of the show. Where did you say? Where did you say Phoenix fell into that? Phoenix arm. So Raven is originally George Jennings. Excuse me. Yeah. Originally, um, and for some reason I'm trying to think of it, but it, the, the grandpa Jennings, the main Jennings, he's an aerospace engineer, right. successful right. aerospace engineer. He has a friend that's a gunshot owner. 1968 Gun Control Act happens. His, his gunshot owner friend says, damn it, I was selling like 500 of these guns a week. Now where the hell am I going to do? So uh, he, he develops the 25 ACP Raven. It only has one change since that first gun. That's the MP25. Uh-huh. And then that factory burns down, and then that's Phoenix. So, so okay, it comes back to life, and it's Phoenix. And then they make the same gun for a minute, and now they make that Phoenix, which is basically looks like a Jennings, but now it's a Phoenix. That's what I was asking. Was it the same, is it the same Phoenix as now? Yes. So it's that thing, that thing um, has like 45,000 safety features on it. That's exactly the gun I was saying. I'm like, what Holy the hell? It's got, a magazine yeah. disconnect. it's got a frame safe. <laughs> right. Uh, loaded chamber indicator, and then it's got a, fr- a slide safety. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's no possible way to use that gun with normal manipulation. Like, nope. you can't just check the mag. No, because the slide won't lock back. Literally, you, you load it with one round. You put one round in a magazine, you put that in the gun, you rack the slide, you now have a gun in the chamber. Or, I mean, a bullet in the chamber in an empty magazine, right? If you yeah. pull the magazine and try to check that, what's going to happen? Nothing. It's locked because the freaking slide won't go back because the magazine's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shoot it. You can flip it off safe, two safes, and shoot the damn thing. So it's just ridiculous. You have to put the mag, the empty mag back in, yeah. pull the slide back so that it unchambers, and then what? Pull the mag, and then you can put the gun down and have it open. It, it it takes all day, literally, to do yeah. And it's literally anything with it. I was making this video like ragging on it, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make a video where I just rag on a gun. This gun did not decide I'm going to be weird. You know, something happened and it's been weird. So what so they're doing was all the was all the safeties because of pressure. Or what do you yes. think on that? So so here we go. So sixty eight uh, gun control act. Uh, Jennings talks to his friend. He decides, I'm going to start making guns. He does. His son makes 25s. That's Jennings, and then Cal Wesco, and then Brayco, and now Jimenez. His daughter makes Davis, and that turns into Cobra. He makes Jennings. Jennings burns, or he makes, excuse me, Raven. Ravens burns down and turns into Phoenix. So Jennings, okay, I'm saying Jennings because their name is Jennings. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying, though. Raven, the main company, makes a 25 ACP made out of Zamic, but it's basically a browning baby browning so he he's perfectly content making this one gun now he was in the city of industry so i have one of these that's city of industry and that's that's like the only difference is he went from city of industry to like some other city so he moved from like one factory to another but otherwise the gun remained the same for the most part it just has a different roll mark on it and he was content making this gun well they didn't like the safety on it somebody didn't like the safety so california says can't have that safety. So number one time they, they comply. Okay, let's comply with California law. You get the model MP25 with a different safety. 
because of California law. Then it burns down and it becomes Phoenix. And they've dis discovered because of fucking Winnemute, that doctor, that laws aren't working. Oh, you know why else they figured it out? Because they tried to outlaw handguns in California. And what happened? H.L. Richardson came along, created uh, Gun Owners of California, stopped that, and then created Gun Owners of America. And we still have Gun Owners of America. So they tried to outlaw handguns in California because of Gun Owners of America. They couldn't. So then they said, Winnemute's like, oh, you know what? Let's not outlaw guns. Let's make it impossible to comply with the law. So that's where you start getting the roster and all this other shit. And in order to make a gun, you know, so you can't, you have a roster of what can be made somewhere else and brought to California. So that prohibits guns from coming to California. But how do you stop guns from being made in California? You make them comply with outrageous safety uh, mm -hmm. obligations right. or whatever. So what you've got in a Phoenix is uh, Jennings was in California and then went to uh, Utah, went to Nevada, and is now in Nevada again in, in, in Henderson because they can't make that gun in California. It won't comply with California standards. Right. Uh, right. Davis becomes Cobra. Cobra is in Utah because they can't make any of the Cobras in California. Uh, when Raven went run down and was Phoenix, I don't know why, maybe to say fuck you. Oh, let's not forget something else. Have you ever heard of the Davis Law Firm? the attorneys that work with firearms policy in right. California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Davis law firm, the uh, Davis arms, the daughter of Jennings who married the factory Davis, maybe the factory superintendent. He's Davis. Their kid is the Davis law firm. So ring of fire also brought attorneys. So they born their own attorneys and, uh, so now you got the Davis law firm might be part of this and they might be keeping Phoenix in California to say, you keep making us comply and we'll keep making a fucking gun that complies. I suspect that's part of it because this is a family that's been kicked the fuck around by California. Mm -hmm. And the people that are in charge of Phoenix now are the grandkids of Grandpa Jennings. So I could suspect, and I haven't been able to talk to him because I never tried, I guess, I suspect that they might just be making that gun to comply with California law, if nothing else, just to say this is what the, this is the chaos that is the result of complying with California law. Right. Because anyway, so that's what it is. It's the every other company got run out of California. That's how you stay in California is you make a gun that has a ridiculous amount of safeties. You can tell it's a, a, a by people who never probably done before. Yeah, that that makes sense. The reason I ask is we were talking about you're talking about the Jimenez and the and then I, I thought you had said the Phoenix, and I've got the the Phoenix, the HP twenty two, and then I've also got the Jimenez, what's the JA twenty two, and it 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 doesn't have basically, but it doesn't have all the safety stuff. I mean, it works like any other gun with a manual safety, basically. Yeah, they look exactly the same, right? Because basically, Bruce. George is the main grandpa. Bruce is the fucking asshole. Bruce is a horrible person. Um, Bruce, though, created the 22 version of his dad's gun, and when he did, he just shaped a bunch of Zamic off. You don't need that much Zamic when you're only shooting a 22 out of it, and it's got that look. So that's the look that Phoenix uses now because they can, because it's their whatever idiot asshole uncle's gun, and they can. Uh, and then Jimenez does because it is literally the same gun as Jenny's. So they both look basically identical, like you're saying, minus the compliance of California. Oh, right. Gotcha. Cool.
Yeah, that's cool. I didn't hear any of that stuff before. How they're all tied together. Explain the uh, what we're talking about because I really like my little flow chart there. It looks kind of corny, I suppose. It looks like an old shitty PowerPoint, but um, uh, you know, I like the idea of a flow chart for me at least. It helps me keep track as I was uh, learning their story because again, it's used uh, that that I think it's a a perfect. What do you call that? Like it's a perfect. Uh, example of the bigger issues we've got with guns and stuff because it gets persecuted these types of guns everybody's first to throw these things under the bus like oh those are shitty guns but nobody wants those those are shitty guns. so uh because of that nobody puts any attention into paying attention uh, keeping track of them and of course it's super tedious so how could you keep track but it's really difficult even if you seriously wanted to keep track of it and it was almost impossible to discover it took me like four days and i'm talking i'm pretty good at researching shit it took me a while to actually find all that stuff and then put it together where it was like, you know, made sense and was, you know, verified. So then I found the forum and those guys helped me with all the making sure it was legit. Like I wasn't missing any gaps and everything was verified and stuff. So um, anyway, I think it's just a neat microcosm. Is that the word of the whole gun thing? Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, because it's so, I don't know, it touches so many different aspects of it or what. Anyway, so I was trying to describe that, uh, the way that that flowchart worked, because, you know, when I think of the cards, I could see them being, in a, you know, useful for that type of thing. Because now when I'm looking at, was I talking about Verdan and how he insisted on using Sharps rifles? Okay, so you're going to you're gonna know that there's some relationship between Sharps and Verdan now. But if you're, if like me, at least when I'm reading in a book, it's an effort for me to remember that this guy that I'm reading about here is from that paragraph over there or I have yet to reach them in chapter six or something where with cards and you're fiddling with them and I can just literally put them next to each other or something and ideally the faces will help people you know give them a little what do they call that like a visual well most of the people sorry for a visual recollection or whatever of the whatever the gun or the dates of the relationship between people and like Smith and Wesson and that kind of stuff Yeah, that's cool. So that took up some time, and it looks like we've got two minutes left. And so jumps in here. We will be ending at about 206%, which is awesome. So again, uh, we know they're going to get them made in Texas. I had confirmation on that. Uh, once I do the math and stuff, we'll know uh, what we're looking at. And, you know, we're, we're going to do something on the back. I guess we haven't talked about back art. I'll do probably a show where we get into, uh, uh, I'll let it know, like I'll put up a scheduled thing for Patreon people so it's not like last minute or anything. But um, for people that might want to put in some uh, uh, input into like the back art or the jokers and stuff, seems like people are really worried about what the jokers are going to look like. Um, so I'm okay with that. If people want to have a conversation about it, that's awesome and throw ideas out there. Um, for the back art, I've been thinking of, you know, at the J.M. Davis Museum, how they have the mock-up of his actual hotel lobby. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of those panels or whatever you'd call, like, the patterns that I think, you know, you put, you know, the right pattern on the back of a card so it fits good. I think that might be neat. And I, I'm thinking I took, I tried to take really nice pictures, but I'm guessing Raphael, Gary, some of you other guys might have really, really nice pictures. That yeah, I, Raph, Raph would be the one to probably... Pull some art yeah, or, 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 or something. 
He's got that's like a banging camera, man. Pretty awesome. <laughs> so I'm thinking of something like that, like an actual pattern that would have been from the J.M. Davis. He's not an inventor, but that would give the J.M. Davis a little nod there. Because I've got some nods to the um, I, one of the um, cards. Which one was it? Oh, Ruger, right? So Ruger's a little controversial. I wish it was a less controversial card. But Ruger, for 15 years, was a patron of the Cody Museum up in, or the Buffalo Bill Museum up in Cody, which mm-hmm. is one of the best, from what I'm told, one of the best firearms museums. I know it's one of the ones with some of the most rare Winchesters and stuff, so it's an important uh, firearms museum. So I have a nod to that museum in the deck, and uh, you know, so I'd like to you know include those kind of things as much as possible, uh, just kind of like Easter eggs or whatever. Right. Two minutes. Let's see. So thanks to all the people who've been jumping in. I think it's done. I think it's done. Wait. Any minutes left or anything? So appreciate everybody. Did you, did you want to do a uh, gun shop of the night? Sure, you got one. Yeah, Shooter's World in Tampa, Florida. It's a five-star shooting facility. Um, you can rent machine guns. They have saw. They have a. AK-47, they've got quite a few M16s, and they've got a custom shop that you go inside. They've got like four or five custom shops, and you can go inside and go into a shotgun-like specialized area, and they have shotguns from, you know, normal retail prices all the way up into the $100,000 range. They have a tactical department for... uh AR-15s and modern sporting rifles, and they have all different types of area for handguns and just a really nice place. If you're ever in the Tampa area, make sure you go in and check it out. It's very nice. I think I've heard of it before, and it's weird. We have a place in Arizona called Shooter's World, but it doesn't look like they're affiliated at all. Is Tampa, Orlando as well with Disneyland and stuff, right? Or Disney World? Yeah, I mean, basically, Disney World is is just a little bit south of Kissimmee. And then, you know, um, Tampa is just a little bit north of Kissimmee, a little bit south of St. Pete. Or, I'm sorry, north of St. Pete. So I don't know when I'm going to Tampa. I would certainly like to go tool around. Uh, one of my goals is still to do the the tour. Hopefully, if I can continue to do projects like this and um, maybe consult, I was thinking about trying to do some consulting with uh, shops and stuff. I don't know what skills I might still have on the web. But yeah, it'd be neat to be able to work out of the van and do uh, stuff with the computer and tool around uh, over there. There's a couple of manufacturers. I certainly wouldn't mind meeting up with Servu. I met Kelgren before and. Uh, Hope to tour the Caltech place. Um, I think that's a super innovative place. And, uh, well, I've seen, I can't say all of them, I've seen a bunch of the Ring of Fire factories we were talking about a minute ago uh, when I went there in 
16 with the old van uh, and Smeggy was there. We uh, toured around and saw most of those factories. And then when I was there last time, I checked out a couple more. So uh, it would be neat to see the kind of sister facet of that, all the Saturday night, the literal Saturday night special stuff that as soon as the 68 happened, they just would send all the disassembled parts before they were guns to Florida. And then you people would put them together. <laughs> yeah. And then back up to the country. So, yeah, okay, you can't you can't build the or you can't import the guns. No problem. We'll just build them on the boat or whatever. Build them on the dock and not even affect the importation almost at all. But I think that would be neat. I don't know what's left of all that. I suspect it's a lot like the stuff in California. It's just you know industrial addresses that are now a motorcycle shop or a you know guitar amp repair place or something. But uh, it just need to to see some of those places. Of course, then you. Yeah. The Seals Museum is down there. There's all the space shuttle stuff. You you, hoard, you guys hoard all the space stuff. You in Texas? Yeah. Space stuff. But the cool thing about the Ravens and the Jennings, um, I used to help out at a gun shop back in 84 and 85, and that's when all those guns were being built on boats in in the ports, and we were getting them in by the hundreds. And basically, they were like chrome plated, and you could tell where they had gotten a little bit of exposure on the boats to salt water. But um, yeah, we sold a quite a few twenty five caliber Ravens, and um, also the twenty five or the twenty two caliber Jennings and thirty two caliber Jennings. Now that I'm thinking about it, Atchkinson is from Florida too. So the AA-12 comes from Florida, I think. There's yes, it does. To Florida, but I would probably go to Florida when it's winter, so that I have the least possibility of being around when it's gross there. Right. Yeah. Any time past, I would say October, and you're going to have low humidity, and you're going to have cooler temperatures, and just better overall time. But so, I would, I would no. help you and sh- show you around, you know, right on. take you around. Soon. Well, like I say, that'd be, you know, the overall plan still is to work towards that. And, uh, I don't know. I'll see how I can do with selling the collections off and uh, effort in towards some of these other projects. I'm just getting texts now from people who are like, hey, I missed the project. Can I pay you directly? What did it be? Six minutes after? <laughs> so, I think that's fine. Well, can't they go to PayPal on uh, gun websites? Um, yeah, I mean, they could, but like I was saying... My PayPal is a massive mess. If you get anything with, like, regular payments, they give you all these different alerts. And then, like, let's say somebody's credit card's different after a year, right? So for $12 charge, it'll go, we're going to initiate a $12 charge. We charged them $12. Oh, it didn't work. Like, oh, we charged them $12. Oh, it didn't work. And I don't know what the span is between them, so I don't keep track of them all. But it's, you know, some increment, 12 hours, 24 hours, something. Like, every so many hours, they're going to try. And... I don't even know. I, there's too many of them for me to keep track of. And because there's so many of them, any amount of time I have to pay attention to PayPal is mostly 
getting rid of it all so that I can get to the real numbers so that I can get them out of PayPal and keep moving on with books because I don't have like, I'm not a full-time accountant. I don't have all the time in the world to just do books all the time. So anyhow, there's just this mess on PayPal. So yeah, you could, or somebody could just throw me $20 on PayPal, but that's like going up to somebody who's like, let's put it in perspective for somebody like uh, Midnight. If he's busy in the kitchen doing And so it's it's better to go through a whatever the store the, the, the Patreon thing because then it gets attributed to a person and it comes through a, a channel I guess the way I say it, it comes through where I can actually monitor it. Uh, it would be like going straight to the source and just dropping a buck in your bank. Like how the hell do you know a buck got dropped in your bank if somebody wasn't making you aware of it? I don't know if that makes sense. So, Patreon, PayPal is a way to send money, but it's not, uh, I don't know, it's not like going through a, a cart at a store where it's going to come through with an order number and a identification tag of some, some kind. What are we off air? No, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. But, um, so if you sign up though for gun websites, do you pay with pay with PayPal? I know I put gun in a lot of my shit because I talk about guns, but let's start looking at it from the other fucking word. Gun websites is me, right? It's like right. shit I do on YouTube. Gun channels is a community I built five years ago, and it's you people. You people are gun channels. So don't focus on the gun side of all this shit. Focus on the channel site. So what you were asking me is when you join gun channels, because you can't join gun websites. It's not a okay. thing. Okay, okay, okay. Because it's all similar, right? And that's, I know it's frustrating. So focus on the second side of it. The channels, when you join the channels on YouTube, on uh, PayPal, is what I'm saying. Is it's, it's, I don't know what to call that. It's a, it's a system that is, in, you know, PayPal is incorporated into gun channels, but it triggers these little, what do you call them, instances, like little pips on your, if you ever go into PayPal and look, I would I would be curious to see what some normal person's PayPal looks like. It probably says things like, no, my, my on eBay, or like, I sent money to somebody. My yeah. PayPal looks like fucking chaos. It looks like a shotgun pattern compared to somebody who shot three rounds with a thirty-eight. Mine, mine does the same if they shop through the swag store. It has to do with the way the API is hooked up in the website, I'm guessing. But it's like, so-and-so ordered this. So-and-so is built for this. So-and-so paid for this. It's like, you're right. It's like three different ones. It's like every little step of the process, they put an entry in there. And it, Yeah, it's just insane. And then, like I say, if the, the payment doesn't go through, somebody quit paying the channels or whatever, credit card's different or something. I don't even know. Like I say, there's lots of different things that will happen. Now you get one of those instances every 12 hours. And then eventually it'll crap out with some... And then, and like I said, I, even if I wanted, there's there's no... We're talking, I don't know, four people or five people a month or something. So it's $50. It would, it would take me hours and hours to figure it all out. And then I would figure out, oh, okay, it's $45 this month instead of $47 last month. 
it's one of those things I've got to draw a line. So that's one of the reasons, I don't know, we're talking about stuff. Um, we've set up a Patreon for gun channels. So when gun channels was created, it's a, it's a bunch of software that allows us to be a community, right? So when we built the place, it was because gun ch- or YouTube was kind of a chaotic mess at the time. With YouTube started out with a bunch of people kicking each other in the balls and then showing cute kittens playing pianos and stuff. And everybody thought that was great. And then uh, at some point, people like Nut and Fancy, honestly, started putting content down that was worth a shit, right? He would, I remember the first thing I ever saw from Nut and Fancy was like he took apart an ultralight backpack, you know, where he went super ultralight backpack and hiking up into somewhere. So he took apart that backpack in his living room. And you can imagine all the little stuff you might bring on a, couple of days outing hiking up you know just a backpack there's just a super interesting video to see somebody actually take it apart and not be up until that point your my experience with backpacking stuff is like i'm selling you this gore-tex stuff such such or i'm selling you these boots so your your articles were like here's this healthy backpack and i've got insulate blah 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 and such and such for blah 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 right and you know you know you're just getting sold everything in there so it's all you get. So this not fancy guy was like, wow, this guy's just talking about his experience with stuff he bought. And that was pretty neat. So people saw that kind of stuff and started to do the same. And now you had people that were putting stuff down that was worth looking at. So people would go to the comments and say stuff like, that was awesome. Thank you. That was worth looking at. Or can I ask a question about such and such? And then certain people were like, yeah, let's answer those questions. So we had this community that started happening. And as that started to happen pretty quick, uh, YouTube changed from kicks in the balls and kittens, and it turned into a little bit more of what we're used to today. But it was crude, and you couldn't make money, and it was just people who were basically trying to illustrate stuff that was too elaborate or too complicated to uh, describe in a forum post or like in a series of pictures or something. Because back then it was just forums. It was forums, and that was it. That was your way to communicate online. AOL was dead already. Nobody was on MySpace. Uh, Facebook doesn't, didn't really exist for humans yet. It was just for kids. And uh, so YouTube was like this alternative where now all of a sudden you could have this community or whatever. So where the hell am I getting to this? We were in this pretty good place where we could uh, make a video in response to other people's videos. They were letting people become partners. Uh, people were starting to make a few bucks. There was actually a reason to hang out on YouTube. So that meant the content was getting even better and stuff. So we were really digging it. And then... I guess they said, "Uh oh, Facebook exists and they're horrible. So let's make this thing called Google Plus and everybody will love it. And then they won't use Facebook anymore and we'll own the Internet. So we'll just remove video responses and we'll remove. I can't remember all the cool shit we used to have. uh, And let's just make everybody use Google Plus from now on. And then let's like change their usernames and stuff so they have they can't have aliases. Let's make everybody use their real names. It was horrible. So. Half of us were trying not to use our real names because we had established channels with brands, right? With with product, whatever we call them, like our channel names, and they're trying to make us all use our regular names, like Facebook wants you to use, and uh, it was just bad. So when we built this place, uh, it was a response to that. It was like, hey, let's get a place where we can uh, build a conversation and not you know, be beholden to these people's like little fights between Facebook and and YouTube. And what was this, 13? So this was, people were already making good scratch. I guess we weren't thinking about money. I guess Raph, at first he wanted it to be a thing where like, we got 
real money. Like he wanted us to have advertisers and then pay people to put content here. And that was just never my thing. Plus, I don't think that would have been a working business model. There was just never that much money in it because full 30 came around like 10 weeks, 10 minutes after we built this place. Right. So uh, and they had all the resources in the world and funding and they weren't able to make that happen. I don't think so. Uh, uh, anyway, so that's where we built this place as a, uh, a a refuse from YouTube and a better tool than YouTube. So uh, when we put it together, what I was getting at with the money thing was uh, we didn't want to just leave it open to everybody because then we'd have the same exact fucking problems as YouTube, except we'd be paying the bill instead of YouTube, right? So in order to to put a barrier to entry, we said you have to pay a buck. And the easiest way to do that at the time was to just charge people a buck on PayPal. And since the system uses PayPal, we put that in place or whatever. Um, and at first it was a buck a month. <laughs> and that was the worst decision I ever made. I didn't know. But the, as much bitching and moaning as I do about $12 a year, I, was, I almost went out of business doing a buck a month because it was insane. I don't know how many members we had, but it was probably 100, I guess, let's say. It was because, I don't know, it was not enough to pay the bills, but it was like a shit ton. <laughs> so, every, holy moly, like, talk about just a worthless, like, PayPal is worthless at that point. It's just, you can't even use it. I couldn't even pay my regular bills and stuff, like the things I would normally use PayPal for, because the stuff would be like four pages behind. It was just a mess. So, at some point, I think it tried, did that for like a year, and then switched it to $12 a year instead of $1 a month. And... Anyway, so that's where the PayPal even came from in the first place was just to make gun channels not free, to keep it from uh, being open to just anybody to walk in and lay a big turd on the ground. Like we wanted to have a conversation that was not just open to the fucking whole world like YouTube is. The problem with YouTube is people started getting angry and shit when everybody uh, was getting frustrated with the Google Plus people are going to lash out and they're going to lash out at the people they i guess that they want to shit where they eat so they're like oh okay we don't like what's going on so f you for entertaining us so it was really a weird situation and uh yeah like i say we built it as a, a way to get rid of some of these it was like some really abusive people um kind of like what uh a ghost experience trying to hang out with those reddit weirdos <laughs> right right I mean, some people just get absurdly angry, like, you know, beyond normal reaction to somebody who challenges their whatever, you know, their thoughts or their opinion or whatever. Like, these people got seriously upset. And it's uh, scary. So it's one of the reasons, again, it's one of the lessons I learned, too. Like, do I don't understand why people choose fame. It's the people that are, uh, what do you call it, like, celebrity that get the weirdest people that, like, are possessive, I guess. I don't know what to, you know, it's, it's, it's just weird, you know, like you, you, you hear about it for, you know, uh, attractive young actresses or something, but with like Yankee and Matt and stuff, <laughs> yeah, people getting just really, really seriously warped on what they're, you know, anyway, so Gun Channels was a way to get us to step away from all of that. And it has evolved ever since, like literally, from day one, me and Ralph didn't agree on what we were going to do with it. And except that what we, you know, we knew it needed to be something over here. We just didn't know which direction we were going to go, but definitely, in, you know, away from YouTube. And uh, 
what, in five years, we probably had at least, I wish I had to get together with all the original people and find out. We'll have to do some effort for that for the fifth anniversary and try to group you guys all up because there's some people like D.B. Cooper is, I'm pretty sure D.B. Cooper is member number three. Like that, so literally been around since me and Ralph put it up one afternoon or whatever it was. Like he's been around since the entire time to see it all. Um, you know, some of these people have been around for a long time. Can help me figure out. I'm gonna just gonna say three major waves of gun channels. Even though it's five years old, they kind of overlap, right? So it's, I'd say, I don't know how many people in here have been around since the beginning. Things still in here? No, not even in here. I don't know how long you guys been around, but like I say, it's probably a couple of major, like, what would you call that? Like, you know, changes of guard or whatever, like, you know, the main people. Yeah, right. Main, well, where was B.B. Cooper was one of the main, was one of the first ones, too. I remember, right? Three. I don't know how we got off on that, but there's a little gun channel history. Huh? Uh, he was asking about DB, and I said, yes, DB was like number three. Anyway, so uh, we've got the PayPal thing, and it's a major pain in the ass, but it works. And basically the $7.62 a month people are who are paying the server bills and everything. And that's good to go. So what we did with the Patreon uh, is, uh, what I'm trying to do with the Patreon is raise the kind of money that we need to get an employee. Because I figure, and we're having a gun channels chat now, so it turned out of the daily gun show now, it's just a gun channel strategy thing. But if anybody wanted to stick around, that's what you got. So um, what, are we going to either do nothing, and it'll just you know, be like a party boat that drives out into the water without any kind of direction, right? That's no fun. So at some point, we got to figure out what we want to do, sink or swim, right? So I don't want this thing to depend on me. What if I have a heart attack tomorrow? I smoke all the time. I eat bacon and shit. I'm reckless. So if, it, if I die, I don't want gun challenge. Back. So I'd like to set it up somehow that it's just a thing. I don't know what that's called, but, you know, an entity that can continue and do it as some sort of a committee or group or what, where, you know, we have a basic set of goals, basically be cool and... And, you know, don't sell out and then promote the second and then uh, get a couple of people that, you know, are admin slash moderators that can fill in and then get somebody who's like a full time. I think somebody ideally would be like a Jimmy, somebody who can do a daily show. Uh, I really think gun channels would be a different place if we had somebody who could just hang out and constantly be there as like a helpful person. Right but then host something like a, a daily thing that accumulates all the different interesting shit that's been going on and turns that into a podcast and a blog so that we have document of gun channels itself documents the activities that people are doing so that you're not obligated as a creator to burden yourself with also putting it on gun channels. Gun channels can go out and help you, right? That you're paying you know, gun channels so that gun channels is helping your efforts out. So, you know, you, you tag something gun channels, gun channels finds out and amplifies it. So I think uh, we could have a podcast that's all the best of gun channels, and that could be weekly. Um, uh, do the same thing with like a blog, you know, a written version, 
Um, think about what Marco was able to do with the gun channels underscore. That originally was gun channels. That was it. Gun Marco is a freaking artist of Instagram. Uh, he's by no means the only one, and he's willing to offer his knowledge to others. He's helping too, Hadi, right now. So, um, you know, there's the potential of a, somebody who's a full-time gun channels person to just do insane things with the social media platforms. We have a competent, knowledgeable, creative bunch of people here, and if they had a person who was working for them, like, what the fuck? That would be, be, be even better. Uh, so if we could get the Patreon side to pay for somebody to actually be here doing that every day, uh, imagine what gun channels would be like. Uh, when we do things like the meetups, how awesome would it be if there's a person whose job it is to make sure that shit happens, right? He's on the clock. He's our person. He's our, you know, our hired uh, ally. Right. Uh, so uh, I'm, as far as, like, sponsorship and shit, I personally don't like sponsorship. Every time I see stuff that has sponsorship, it's fake, and I suspect what the hell their motives are. I really like the vibe we have on gun channels and the way that people can come in and do their thing. So if we can keep it crowdfunded and, you know, somebody can come along and I don't know if it has to be one person, you know, I'm just spitballing now, but I really think that could be the, the direction of gun channels. And that's where I put up the Patreon so that right now I'd really like to get it to just be Patreon. I just don't have any type of funding to be able to say, turn off pay, pay, PayPal tomorrow because I've done that before. When we went from $1 a month, to $12 a year, that was a fucking hard decision because I've never been rich. I had to go to PayPal and tell however many subscribers we had, fuck you all, you're all turned off, and hope that they all came back and put the $12 back. And I don't really remember. It was, you know, I don't have fingernails because that's always frustrating when I have to do shit like that. But that's will be what I have to do at some point. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when I can do that with the PayPal, but I can't do it yet. But um, uh, our, our PayPal, Patreon is at like a hundred dollars, so that doesn't even pay for the chat server, right? That's not enough to support gun channels. That with the PayPal is enough to support gun channels. Still, um, I don't make any money, but it pays for gun channels. But it's not enough for like a Jimmy or even a Jimmy a couple of times a month, let alone a couple of times a week, let alone every single day. Right. But that will be the goal. I'm thinking that's you know I don't unless somebody's got some other plans, and I'm definitely interested in listening to other suggestions, but. I'd like to work towards something like that where gun channels becomes not just a place where we can use stuff, but a, a useful amplifier that just kicks the shit out of. And then, you know, what we want it to do. And then that lets somebody like uh, a Gary or a Rick or somebody like a dead horse and Dave, while you guys are doing the history thing, like you can just do your thing and go fucking live your life knowing that you put it on gun channels, it's going to be amplified. It's going to go get reached out. It's going to get, you know, shared or linked or whatever. And uh, and as you get one person doing that kind of stuff, that's super easy. I mean, once you start doing that, Clover can tell you that kind of stuff is, you can do that while we're in chats. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it can, be, it can be knives. And how awesome would it be if we just were able to pay knives to, to get paid to do what he's already doing? And then, you know, he's out there efforting for us or something. So I think we could have some real potential with that kind of stuff. And then Gun Channels just keeps going. Then I doesn't like say that I'm out of the picture. Because honestly, I'm not a good business person. It's not going to go very long with me. Because, like say, I don't have the resources to just say, oh, is that, a, is that a thousand bucks?
and then hey what do you know if you if we were able to effort that then guess what every second matters is like an extra two hours a day and then every second matters is that powerful we might actually change the fucking planet right there yep kill the nfa the whole world figures out that guns aren't bad that your neighbor isn't out to get you everybody drops their border walls and the world is in peace. We have Star Trek. We start to explore space. Aliens come down and go, oh, you guys have finally got your shit together. Let's give you a real PKM made out of lasers and shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. We just have to keep an eye out for the robots. Maybe sometime 100 years from now, somebody will be building a card deck of people who helped save the Second Amendment, and they'll trace it all back to... Gun channels. If it weren't for these people, we wouldn't have our guns today like we do. There you go. There'll be a G-Webs card and, you know, all that stuff. Of course, he'd be the Ace of Spades. I'll be the Joker. Oh, the Joker. There you go. <laughs> Who knows, though? I think this is a very valuable community. I Definitely something... Yeah. Wouldn't want to lose. Yeah, and I mean, and, and we're we're majorly in the infancy of all of this. We really are. I mean, I know we, you know, we complain about well, you know, YouTube used to be like this, and and that's just proof that you know all of these this social media and everything. It's it's really in its infancy right now. Who knows what it's going to be in the next five years, ten years. And how powerful it can be, and what we can use it for. I mean, imagine with, uh, imagine with, you know, you've got Netflix and Roku, and you've got all this stuff now, right? Netflix is doing original series and Roku. I know some some guys locally that do some hunting stuff, and. They're through Roku. So, I mean, they basically are broadcasting, right? I mean, they basically have their own TV channel, essentially. So, yeah. Well, look at we like shooting. And I, and I think it's just a matter of time before you see, with all this Internet-based TV, you see a situation like the old you know, cable access channels. I think you're, you're going to start seeing a situation like that to where you're going to be able to get Maybe, maybe not for free, but at least for a reasonable cost. You know that Patreon could support it or something else. You could essentially get in front of people on their television set. Oh yeah, you already we already are. I'm sure. Um, Well, as far as as far yeah, you can get YouTube and all of that. But what I'm talking about is like your own channel on the. You know, I see. That's where it's. I mean, it is going that way. YouTube is proof that it's going from. Well, I mean, just the, everything. It went from the three-letter uh, networks to the UHF, and then it went to cable, and then YouTube is proof that it's diversifying even more. And, yeah, we live in a big enough planet that, you know, it's all about once there's a, a way for people to find the audience and the people that are interested to find somebody who's creating these topics that they're interested in, it's just that distribution, and YouTube happens to be the one that the first one that came along and made that efficient. But they're certainly not the only or the last. Good evening, everybody. Hey, how's it going? What's going on there, Hoss? 
Number 73, that's what's going on on Gun Channels. That's me. Gun Channels is a fortune teller. 73, man. That's the ham radio number. Is that a ham number? Yeah, that's how you end every conversation. and you, That's the way of saying, like, best wishes and have a nice day, whatever, in ham radio. 73. And that's your member number? Yeah. Don't they say 73, like with a plural? 73, 73s, you know, 73. It, it, you can say it different ways. Uh, you can ask like camp. And the story you can go into his uh, technical class. And I told him, hey, wait, take both tests right away. And he passed his expert, no problem. Oh, wow. Extra? He got his extra? Oh, wait, sorry. He passed his general right after huh? his school, right? Yeah. And then, like, oh, I'm curious. And anyway, yeah, he went and hit his extra with, like, I forget. <laughs> He only missed like two or something. So yeah, he definitely nailed his uh, extra. So he's been over there extra and all up over there. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I got to go take my test and get that over with. I don't know why I'm waiting. Hey, thanks for jumping in, Clover. Appreciate it. Take it easy. So this is just uh, turning it into a super long daily gun show, I guess, slash chat. So we've been watching the end of the campaign there and just kind of bullshitting about days and what's next for gun channels i guess yankee did some sort of crazy telephone today on his channel did you see that i saw the link on uh on gun channels actually and i went over hopped over to it really quick just to check it out yeah good for him and that's that's, that's nice that he did that it is very cool yeah hey guys i'm gonna jump off now thanks for the invite there g you bet thanks again for jumping in hey congratulations so I don't know if we should keep going or call this a lobby or uh, put it down. So give us some feedback. I see uh, Hotties out there, and Tater's already shut down, so I don't know who else would be running on show this late. Dead Horse is still in here. Where is you on your schedule? Sleeping. So um, on the YouTube side, somebody's asking, Sexy's asking, is Hosh a gun guy? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. I, uh, gosh, man, I used to shoot a lot more. I was shooting shotgun primarily, um, two to three times a week. Doing some competitive, ooh, hot mic. Doing some competitive shooting, uh, mainly skeet. And having that second kid, man, the first kid was manageable. That second one, though, changes everything. You gotta kind of pick your time, and some things you just get much less time with. So the shooting is dialed back a bit, and it was about the same relative time that the ham radio thing started to pick up. How is Edison doing? Edison is a holy terror, man. <laughs> and if Edison was just like Ben, things probably would have been different, but oh, man, Edison is a nut. <laughs> Edison is a nut. I've been watching the, some of the stuff you've been putting on Instagram, and I'm like, Wow. And then Ben's so big now, it's like, I remember when I took that picture in front of your house on the bike. Yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. No, he's, Ben's great. Ben's really conscientious, and he obviously doesn't want to hurt himself at every moment. And Edison's like, hold my sippy cup. Check this out. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, he just, he, he like literally is the personification of no fucks given.
Oh, did we lose G? Oh no, I'm just. Muted. Oh was... no, no, sorry, I was looking at the wrong logo. I was uh, reading all. You... I didn't realize you'd been chatting on the YouTube or on the Gun Channel site over there. Oh yeah, for a little while. No, I was. Uh... Oh God damn it! With the sorry, Elman. Um, uh, Flynn's been asking if we're going to do the showdown today. I don't want to do it tonight anymore. Uh, we'll do that one tomorrow. Sorry. Normally we do it on Wednesdays, but we didn't uh, do it this week. Wait, did we do it this week? I don't think we did. Maybe we'll do it tomorrow. All right, well, I think Dave and Dead Horse have been worn out. I don't know if Gary's not. No, I'm still here, brother. I was just waiting. How's the dog doing? I don't know. She's not around here, so she's probably bed sleeping. Aw. She's probably waiting for daddy. She's doing pretty good. I took her to the uh, Walmart. I found some cash yesterday. I didn't know I had cash. So I was like, oh, snap. I'm going to go eat. So I went and got a burrito and uh, took the dog to uh, the Walmart. And uh, so now every time I take her out, she thinks she wants to just jump right in the van. So I think she's got the van life already in her. Yeah, I saw that when you put that up. That she was waiting for you. How does she do with the hot weather? Oh, she pads a lot. Yeah, a lot of fur. But the fur is as much an air conditioner as it is a heater. So they, whatever, get some kind of cooling from that and breathe through their mouth or whatever. Or cool through their mouth and their feet. But they don't overheat or anything. Yeah, you can even get their hair damp with a like a damp towel, and it'll help cool their overall core temp. You got to be careful with that, though. Um, in California, and I'm sure Arizona is probably even worse. We people would sometimes take a hose and just drench their dog down, and they'd end up like killing their dog because the water would heat up, superheat their body. So the general guideline is like kind of like you said, get a towel real wet and lay a towel on the ground and just let the dog lay on it. And that is more effective than wetting them, to their their body, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, how long have you guys been going tonight? Oh, it started in, would you start at nine, normal time? No, because Clover had a longer show, and then I knew I was going to be going for till midnight. So I think we ended up starting a little bit late, but yeah, it's been running for a while. Yeah, very yeah, cool. it's been going on quite a while actually. Try to keep the campaigns like start on a cool day and end on a cool day. So we started on the tenth anniversary of Heller, and then mm -hmm. end on Colt's birthday, and then that was midnight, I guess. So. Yeah, I was a dumbass. I had like fifteen hours of work today, and it was like. 12, 13 hours yesterday, and I've just been getting ready for this last two days, and I just totally forgot. I had it in my email. I was like, pulled it up, and I was like, cool, I'll get right back to that, and it was sitting on my computer that I haven't touched in like three days. I haven't touched anything in like three days. Well, I'll tell you what, what I'm going to do, since uh, there are people watching, but people aren't really chatting, so uh, run over to Gun Channels. I'll just drop the link in the uh, chat over there, and we'll just make it an off-air chat. So that way we can, uh, so that I just don't like to leave it running live. So 
uh, I'll end it and say, well, then the live portion of it, and we'll just hang out in here. And like I said, there'll be a link over there. There's still a link for the Patreon people who might want to jump in, of course. But uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, watching and listening. We'll be back tomorrow, same time.